Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with less respect for the Mayan gods than Stephanie LaGrosa. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and Welsa, I do believe I am not in this episode. And I'm Mike Bloom, and uh, I'm ready. I just had a delicious sacrificial chicken dinner, so uh, I'm, the gods are smiling upon me. Con permiso, oh. pero uh, el gallo me comido? Nosotros? Oh my god, Mike <laughs> and Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are with the long-awaited part three of Survivor Guatemala. Um, we recorded part two about six, seven months ago, if I recall. So we're kind of jumping right back into it. And uh, if I recall, I'll set the little scene for you. We are starting off with the final eight. Bobby John has just left the game and all the fireworks on the season are about to begin. And to end the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers, those of you who waited all this time uh, from part two to part three, I will now talk about Gary Hogaboom and his game against Detroit. He talked about it, and Gary lied. He always talked about how he was all about honesty and respect, but we have caught Gary in a little bit of a lie, if I remember my quote correctly. When he talks about his ultimate epic comeback game against Detroit, does he talk about them winning the game? Uh, I let's let me look back in my notes. I think he just talks about. I think he. I think he might mention it. Um, I think he mentions that they won, which threw me off because Gary Hogaboom, as a Dallas Cowboys player, played the Detroit Lions twice in his career, and he was one and one. They won one and they lost one. In the game in which they won, which was what I was looking up during the podcast last time, he threw for 171 yards in the game. And it was a very low-scoring affair. So his, we had a massive comeback, and I threw a billion, trillion yards. I'm looking at that going, well, Gary, you're a liar. You didn't do that in that game. However, on further inspection, I'm looking at a game in September of 1985 where the Dallas Cowboys played the Detroit Lions. And it looks to me, I don't have like a complete play-by-play box score of things, but just sort of reading the game, it looks like a Cowboys quarterback started the game and didn't do very well through three interceptions. The Cowboys were losing, looks like they were losing 26 nothing in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, Hogan threw a touchdown pass to make it 26-7, threw another touchdown pass, a 44-yard pass to make it 26-14, and then he put one in from the two-yard line. He rushed a, a, a touchdown in to make it 26-21, and that's the final score. The Detroit Lions ended up winning the game, but Gary Hogan did look like he mounted a large comeback later in the game, and he ended up with 255 passing yards, which isn't quite 300, but it looks like he amounted those passing yards within, well within the second half of the game. So if that's what he's talking about, he's close. However, if he said they won, they didn't. Well, I, I was actually checking out some footnotes from that game as well, Jay, and I, I noticed that uh, it's, it's lost in NFL history, but apparently uh, in, the, in the final two minutes, Hogaboom pulled out uh, some sort of uh, crafted idol that he found in the in the locker room that gave him an extra six points right at the end of the game, and he was able to actually win that. So that, I think that's I think that it's an oft less talked about facet of that game. So maybe maybe that was the case. But it is lore in the Pontiac Silverdome. Yes, exactly. It's, it's part it's part of the lore. And the idol was by far on the locker room floor. Yes. <laughs> yes. So says the head coach of the other team. All right, well, there you go for your Gary Hawkins trivia of the day. I know there's some of you who are just waiting for the answer to that question. Those of you who weren't waiting all this time and were just listening to the podcast and listened to part two and then the media put in part three, 
Well, good for you. You had to wait tw- like 20 <laughs> minutes. but Immediate satisfaction. That's good. <laughs> and that is officially the last time we'll ever talk about Gary Hogaboom mounting something on this podcast. <laughs> Damn it. There go all my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here we are. Part three of Survivor Guatemala. We're down to the final eight. It's uh, six against two. And in keeping with the tradition of this podcast, I will turn it over to our temp himself, Mike Bloom. Uh, lead the way. We will be here for you. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. So, uh, as was talked about in last episode's Tribal Council, I believe this was the Tribal Council when they start bringing up the concept of lying. And I noticed this more on the rewatch than uh, initially thought that the the latter half of Guatemala is a lot about who is more honest than who, uh, which I guess, again, falls into the the whole context of Survivor history, how it, it hasn't become a complete game yet where you have to lie, cheat, and steal to make your way to the end. But uh, this is where Jamie tries to kind of get Gary riled up, and he, he brings up like an incident where Gary apparently didn't say he lied last tribal council, and he said that he uh, that he lied to about to Jamie about voting out Brandon at the final ten. But it's clear that Jamie's just trying to start shit, and uh, he's trying to get Cindy riled up specifically because Gary voted for her. But all it does is uh, piss Cindy off, and this is really you know we got we got Jamie the hero last episode, but this time we're going to see a lot of Jamie the asshole. Well, there's that, but it's it's also, you know, if we're talking about strategy or just the the game and 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 the evolution of the game, sort of going further, you know, at this time, you know, as as with anything, I still believe to this day that the person that wins Survivor uh, is the person that usually the people like more or or respect more or or, or hate the least. I, I still think that that is in general, who wins the game and not, you know, recognize the person who played the best game strategically with this, that, and the other thing. So, but but even today, even in, in Guatemala, playing the game is still sort of a dirty word. And so, you know, nowadays people are more rewarded for making more cutthroat moves and doing more strategic this, that, and the other things, and people don't hold it against them. But at this point in the game, sometimes when people are doing that, it comes off as something else. But I think also is that Gary Hogaboom is, for better or for worse, driving a lot of the narrative in camp. And Gary is, I think, spouting a narrative of honesty, integrity, physical fitness. You know, he's, I think he's trying to become like the presidential athlete, you know, uh, you know that, that job that Arnold Schwarzenegger had for a while. And, you know, they always give to some token athlete like, you know, hey. Terminator. Tell, yeah, tell people to, you know, exercise every once in a while. Tell the kids to go outside, please. And you know Gary Hogoboom was the number two choice for that job behind Schwarzenegger at the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, as I talked about before, uh, Jamie is only riles Cindy up, and we start to get people, like, once again get pissed off at Jamie. And, uh, I mean, I know we, br- we brought this up a couple of episodes ago, but I, I can't get enough of the fact that the one person who's complaining about, you know, Jamie spouting off at the mouth is Judd and that Judd is like the the surprising voice of reason to be able to calm Jamie down it's just you you can't make this shit up it's absolutely fantastic I love that we have an alliance in power that that consists of Judd and Jamie I mean you have two of the biggest paranoid wild cards ever both in the same alliance in power like was it any wonder that that didn't work out that's very true, though. We'll see with in, with the next season that sometimes uh, an alliance full of completely crazy people can actually surprisingly stay coherent. <laughs> yes. So, so at this point, it's six against two. Let's break it down for the listeners who the six are and who the two are at this point. 
Yeah, so this is the uh, superpower of the, the, the former Nakums, which is Stephanie, Rafe, Jamie, and Judd, which are kind of a foursome, a powerful foursome at this point. And then you have Lydia and Cindy kind of on the outskirts up against the, the lone former Yashas of Danny and Gary. And Gary dodged a major bullet last tribal council by pulling out the hidden immunity idol when he was the big tar- target to go home. So it's clear that he's kind of uh, public enemy number one. Uh, so like Jay said, I think the narrative, the big narrative for the next couple of episodes is basically going to be like, how can, how can Gary survive this situation? Yeah. So he's really the hero at this point. He kind of yeah, is. I say- I mean, he's backed into a corner, and and mm-hmm. and his his thing is, is that I think that people, you know, with all the tribe swaps and with people spending time with Gary, and the fact that I think it's this very thinly veiled secret that Gary was a NFL player, that they're all just kind of saying, yeah, I guess he is, even though he's denying to this point, and it's not even really a story narrative anymore. But I think people are looking up to Gary as some sort of like father figure or or someone that they really respect. I think Gary did re- gain everyone's respect, whether they were in his alliance or not. And so Gary is sort of touting this, hey, physical strong people need to stay together or people who are honest need to stay together. And I think people are sort of placating Gary or at least trying to have a dialogue with Gary about that, whether or not they're actually trying to work with him or not. Yeah, it's the old Tina Wesson thing. Like, you know, the good people need to get to the end where in which is just code for Tina saying, by the way, I'm one of the good people. Take me to the end, which is all Gary is saying, by the way, I'm one of the physically strong people who's honest. Take me to the end. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get a lot of that in this uh, this reward challenge coming up that, you know, get, basically the only pitch Gary can make so far is like, yeah, I'm a physical threat, but that's why you should take me to the end. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the pre-weighed uh, sh- iron sharpens iron strategy. <laughs> yes. Although, uh, let's also point out here that, uh, fuck, I have no idea what I was about to say. Let's not point that out. So let's not point it out. We'll, we'll point it out at a later point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so the reward challenge is, I believe this is actually our only team challenge uh, in this season, but it's uh, two teams of two men and two women, and uh, each pair is roped together, and they basically have to traverse this muddy obstacle course and bring a pot of corn back to the starting line, and basically whoever fills up the pot of corn first wins. And it is Jamie, Rafe, Cindy, and Lydia versus Judd, Gary, Steph and Danny. And basically the narrative of this challenge is that uh, Jamie and Rafe always put their team out into the lead, but then Lydia always <laughs> makes their team fall back and gives uh, Steph and Danny the advantage. And then Jamie wants to finish at the end, even though they've lost. Yeah, and I, I really feel for Lydia here because, you know, she was the weak leak in this challenge, but there was really nothing she could do. I mean, I, from what it looked like, that mud was going up to like the top of her legs. And she has such short legs that she really couldn't find the force to bring them out of the suction cup that was that mud pit yep it was unfortunate yes. it was nice that we did get a, a a final jamie hey guys let's finish <laughs> yeah yeah and i just love cindy just like just gives up right there she's like no it's stupid that we're gonna be walking through the mud for no reason so uh it, it's love it's it's always nice to see jamie employ this you know camp this pf camp strategy of like hey guys let's all finish we're all winners and people are just like jamie no this is not gonna work out here we're not all winners Lydia's yeah. on our team. We're not all winners. <laughs> so, yeah, the foursome of Judd, Gary, Steph, and Danny win, and they win an overnight trip to a private home. Whose private home? I'm not entirely sure, but it's, uh, the, it's like the shower and coffee reward. There's a lot of overnight trips this season, which is, uh, which is fun. And so they, they get like flown in through the chopper. 
Um, and then they arrive at this giant home where they get to shower off and Judd has an excuse to be naked. Yeah, and they get greeted by this guy, and he's like, welcome to this home. Here's the shower, and there will be food. And I, and I I really was like, I wanted one of them to just look at the guy and go, so what drugs do you sell? I wanted I wanted someone to like pull up in the driveway and be like, what are you people doing in my house? <laughs> For the record, since I know some survivor nerd out there will know this, the guy's house, the guy's name was Louie. It is Louie's house. Okay. Oh, oh Louie, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It's Louie from Guatemala. Everybody knows him. Yeah. <laughs> Although, one thing that I loved about this challenge is, you know, they're covered in mud, and the first thing is they immediately go into a million-dollar helicopter. Like, shouldn't they have cleaned off or something? Like, do you really want them in your helicopter caked no, with mud like that? We, we wouldn't have had the, you know, the, the money shots of Steph and Danny showering each other off. That, that is a good point, though. I, I mean, I, I do remember I, when I was in Venice in Italy, I, I went on a gondola ride. And, you know, part of the ride was we got this champagne and we were sharing the gondola with this other couple. And the other couple totally screwed up with the opening of the champagne and they spilled some in there and it got on the guy's pants. And it was a really funny scene. The gondolier totally like throws him a rag and and the guy's like, hey, thank you very much. And he starts patting down his jeans or whatever, the the spot where the champagne is. And the guy's like, no, no, Masetti, it's for the gondola. It's for the gondola. You wipe down gondola. And I was like, this dude is like way paranoid about his gondola, and that's not a helicopter. Come on, guys. Keep it keep it clean in there. So do you think they came to the house late because the producers made them clean the yeah, that's right. mud off the helicopter before getting to the house? It's for the chopper. They it's had to call in uh, Winston Wolf to help them. <laughs> is that uh, – who – is that uh, – no, I was thinking part – I was, yeah, I was, yeah, that, that's Harvey Keitel's character in Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, you have to get Harvey Keitel to get all the the – pieces of blood and skull out of the helicopter after judd's done with it uh, and blake's dead body out of the trunk <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh <laughs> so at this this reward is pretty significant because this is the first um as, as stephanie and Judd bring up i guess because of the, the real disparity between the alliances for the first few days on the merged tribe and we also yes. get the uh the beginning of the of the great storyline that stephanie eats a lot a lot. That's a weird storyline that really does pervade this whole season, or at least uh, from here on out, is that Stephanie eats. Yeah. What's funny is that it's kind of presented in a comedic manner when you watch the season. It's kind of like comic relief scene, but it's clear that it's not funny to the other players. Like, this is a huge part of the reason why Stephanie doesn't win this game. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll see it in a couple episodes from now when, uh, or even, I think it was next episode during the Coconut Chop Challenge when Lydia eliminates her, like, I think that these people like Lydia and even a little bit of Rafe are like they're they're getting pissed off that that Stephanie keeps getting invited on these rewards and it's not going to stop. I think there's only like one reward that Stephanie doesn't get to go on. And it's not even just the food rewards. I mean, they mentioned about it around camp. I know that we're skipping ahead several episodes, but you know, it, we make fun of the whole thing in Heroes versus Villains about like banana etiquette and stuff like that, but that's a real thing. Like you have to split your food out there. If if, if there's a perception that someone is eating more than someone else, that's never good. It really is never good. Yep, yeah. So we, we get back to camp here where Lydia is, of course, very, very sorry that she couldn't get her legs out of the swamp of sadness that was uh, that, that was that challenge. But this is where we get our main, our, other than the, the whole Gary storyline, we get our main storyline of this episode, which is basically that Rafe is kind of getting pissed off at Jamie, uh, specifically about how Jamie always needs to play Mancala with him and how Jamie like is promising him the moon and is in turn like asking Rafe to promise on everything in his life to make sure that they're good. Um, and this is this is uh, Jamie makes a final three alliance with him, 
Rafe and Judd, which I I can't understand the strategic soundness of that move. <laughs> well, Jamie's just losing it. I mean, Rafe is the first person to point it out, but Jamie's just kind of going a little nuts out there. Yeah, it's just it's just a and I guess yeah, maybe Jamie's trying to throw out everything to make Rafe come with him, but that's such like I don't I don't know what Jamie's true final three alliance was out there, but if it really was him, Judd and Rafe, he's he's screwed. He's screwed three ways to Sunday. There's a term in certain online games that you play, uh, especially like if you're playing team games, it's it's just real I- interesting or, or easy term. It's called throwing a game. Don't throw. And, and, and in a way, what one of the things that we can take out from Survivor Guatemala is we sort of, I mean, Gary is and Danny are kind of like our underdogs, and Danny is not getting any real, real significant screen time whatsoever. And Gary is, and Gary's, I root for Gary because Gary's freaking hilarious, but he's a tough guy to sort of, you know, in a vacuum root for. And so you sort of, ever all the personalities are sort of on this dominant alliance going on right now. And so really what we're seeing is a perception from playing while you're ahead. Here is the dominant alliance. There, It's six against two, for better or for worse. And then you have Jamie, who's very firmly ensconced in this alliance. He's buddy-buddy with Rafe. He's buddy-buddy with Stephanie. He seems to be buddy-buddy with Judd. They're the people sort of moving and shaking this thing. And Jamie just kind of goes a little nuts and goes, wait a minute, what's going on? Did they say something about me? Are you good? Can, can we go to a final three alliance? And Jamie is throwing the game, basically. He's throwing his game away. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, something you just said, that's what I wanted to talk about earlier that I'd forgotten about, is that the story of the season at this point really should be Danny as the heroic underdog. But I'm not sure, I don't think we've talked about this, but one of the things why I always thought that Guatemala is kind of underwhelming, it doesn't really satisfy me, is that there's really no Danny as the hero storyline. It just isn't there. And I know one of the things that came out after the season was that Danny would specifically not tell the producers her strategy. She wouldn't give confessionals. She wouldn't tip off what she was thinking because she didn't want this information used against her at tribal council. So that's why it's kind of not satisfying and the story isn't told the way you think it was. It should be. We're getting Gary as the hero here when Danny should be the hero, but Danny's just not giving any footage for the producers to work with. So Gary kind of becomes the surrogate hero in that sense, which is why it's kind of an odd story. Yeah, and it's weird because I know you know typed on the reunion since we don't talk about that too much, but you know usually the winner gets like a montage at the beginning of the reunion showing all the great things they did that led to their win. Danny's only thing that they showed was her winning at the auction in a, in a couple of episodes from now, and that was yeah. and winning immunity, and that was it. The final six episode is really Danny's episode, but aside from that, it's really really not her story. Even when she's on the chopping block at the final five, it's not about her and. It, it sucks because I, I think we're going to dive into Danny's game a little bit here coming up. And, but she played a, a pretty fascinating game, and it seemed like she had a really strong grasp on the social game out there. It, it sucks that she wasn't willing to comply with production standards in order to kind of give away better sound bites. But for now, we're left with Gary. Uh, but this episode, I feel like, really belongs to Rafe. And I feel like from the merge onward, we've really seen Rafe turn into this big strategic force and turn into someone who what uh, was, was uh, you know, at the time, one of the odds-on favorites to win among the fan community. Yeah. But he never quite crosses over to being the hero of the story. I mean, he's... No. A lot of it's his thoughts, his his uh, perception of things, basically his conscience. But again, he has some really, like, annoying things that he does at the end that keep him from ever being the hero. So, yeah, it's just an odd season where there's not really a hero. And I think that's because this alliance is, as I said, they're throwing the game. 
yeah. the first person to throw here is Jamie. And I think that, you know, Rafe, you know, Rafe does some throwing near the end as it is, but Rafe is sort of, you know, the alliance sort of crumbles all around Rafe. And, you know, he has a hand in helping it along the way and, and, and this, that, and the other. But, you know, Rafe is sort of the, I guess he's the, for better or for worse, he's sort of the moral compass of this majority alliance that's out there right now. And mm-hmm. so we're watching it crumble and we're watching Rafe watch it crumble. Well, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he's he's kind of like our perspective into that majority alliance for a while. There are some exceptions. The I feel like from the final five on, that might not be the case. But right. Yeah. For the next for the next few episodes, I think we're going to be seeing the story through Rafe's and Gary's eyes specifically. But, but from a final five, it's kind of done, and then it's and then it's sort of another story in and of itself. It's not about that majority alliance is crumbling. It has crumbled, and now it's now we're going into a whole other phase of the game, which is. Again, some pretty bad moves, which is fun. Yeah, nice past <laughs> tense there, teacher. Yes. <laughs> so uh, this is we we flash back to the reward, and this is where Gary made the made the uh, aforementioned pitch that you know the the final four should be the you know the best of the best, and I I don't know if Stephanie is facetious by saying that this does appeal to her because I mean honestly we've seen a couple of seasons before this where goats have been taken to the end and they know it's a sound strategy. So I'm not sure how much Stephanie is actually buying into this and whether it's just been cobbled together from the edit. But from what we've seen, it looks like she's ready to bite, but Judd isn't. Yeah, I think just from what I can glean from Stephanie's comments, the only thing she really cares about is that Lydia shouldn't be there. And other than that, she's pretty much cool with all of them being being uh, w- uh, worthy of being kind of there at the end. So I think Lydia is the one that really pisses her off. Yeah, and then Gary makes the comment here that will get brought up next in his boot episode about how, like, you know, Lydia and Cindy, quote unquote, don't deserve to be there, and that you know they, if they get to the end, they'll win. I think that that you're right. I think that definitely hits a nerve with Steph. I, I think if you want to appeal with Steph, just come to her with any plan that involves getting rid of Lydia first, and she'll probably hop on board. Yeah, and come with food. Exactly, and come with a peace offering of a hamburger <laughs> or a sacrificial chicken. That's true. So the next day, uh, they, get, they get some coffee, six different flavors of coffee. But I think the big reward that they end up reaping are these uh, videotapes from home, uh, which is it's, it's, a, it's fun to watch. Um, I love how some little moments here, how like Danny really didn't care about her family. She just cared about her dogs. Um, uh, I like that Stephanie's family are Jets fans. I think that shows uh, that reflects a lot on her time on Oolong about <laughs> <laughs> they're always supporting the teams that just can't make it happen. Wow. And <laughs> I know I made, I, I made a sports Shots reference. Aren't fired. you guys proud of me? I made a sports reference. Well done. Uh, thank you. And uh, I, I, I kind of wish these videos were at a time and point before CC Heidek because I would have loved to see like Gary's wife film a message like right next to his football jersey displayed on the wall or something. <laughs> yeah. Big Gary Hogaboom poster on the wall. <laughs> Here is here's your old jersey. I mean, Gary Hogaboom's old jerseys. You're a fan of his, right? I mean, you went to the same this, this college. This guy that everyone, the guy that everyone asked, you know, everyone asked who that you look like him. Remember, you have his jersey up here. Remember, ten years ago, you loved him. <laughs> remember, uh, remember what we were doing fifteen years? Wait, well, I don't remember what we were doing fifteen years ago. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Yeah, I love how she, like, it, that'd be great if they, it's just an uncut videotape of her, like, oh, no, can we do another take? Sorry, I forgot. I accidentally revealed that Gary's a famous football player. Okay, let's start again. <laughs> we can't edit that? You're not going to edit that out? Great, thanks. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
so the reward winners come back to camp and Cindy is elated because they have the coffee and this is uh, this is like n- the number two characteristic that we find out from Cindy throughout this uh, series. The first is that she loves animals and the second is that she loves coffee. So now we know two things about Cindy. Uh, but th- immediately after they come back, Jamie comes to them and asks them, you know, what did they talk to you about? Oh, are, were they talking to you? And Judge immediately like slaps it down. But he notices that Steph and Danny are actually getting pretty close, which is interesting. And this this will... Uh, develop a lot more as it gets down to like the later game, which really becomes about the Steph, Danny, Rafe trio. Yeah, there's a lot of Steph and Danny foreshadowing if you kind of pay attention to these episodes. They're actually a pretty tight pair. Yeah, because and I, the, the, I think Danny brings it up at the again flashing forward way too far uh, on day 39 that like they're both basically you know they're like athletic girly girls almost, and I think. Steph sees a lot of herself in Danny, so I think that's a that's a natural peer for her, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to again someone like Lydia, who's definitely not that. So, uh, well, we go to the immunity challenge, and this is uh, there's a lot of rope challenges. I feel like this season, maybe because they they didn't have a lot of water challenges, but this is basically you have to uh, you're attached to a rope and you have to go up and over and around everything. And there's a, a multi tier challenge, and this is the one that uh, Rafe barely edges out Cindy to win. And this is when we really line started of Rafe kind of becoming a challenge beast, which is surprising. Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> yeah, he comments on it later that it's, like, it's weird that, you know, the nerdy little non-athletic gay guy went, ended up winning all these challenges. But yeah, this is where it starts. The dominance of Rafe right here. Yeah, and it's it's weird to think about considering that, like, Granted, Judd's a little portly, but you have a former athlete there, and you have people like Bobby John and, and Jamie who are like, you know, Jamie crushed that rope challenge last last episode. So to have Rafe kind of snake through and win a bunch of these challenges is uh, it's it's fun. Before before you know Jeff Fangas and Milbert Cochran winning those immunity challenges, there was Rafe. I was actually going to just mention that. I mean, I, I think that you know when when people think about challenges in Survivor, a lot of times in the tribal early tribal challenges sometimes there's some brute strength involved and and there's this and that but usually after the merge they have challenges where in theory anybody whether it's you know males or females or or big or or small or or whomever could win obviously that's not always the case sometimes challengers are skewed towards a certain body type or a certain this or that but you know Rafe is semi-athletic he's semi-quick he's semi-nimble he can do puzzles like he's got a lot of advantages going his way. Whereas you wouldn't look at Rafe and say, now that guy is an athlete. It's like he can do a lot of those things pretty well. And he kept a good head under pressure. And so that's usually the formula for doing well in challenges. And, you know, sometimes you get on a season with like an Aussie or a Terry Dietz or something where like, Hey, maybe you're not going to win a bunch of challenges. But a lot of times, you know, everyone's like, well, I think that a certain body type like this is going to win challenges. No, just go out there and try. If, if you've got, if you got some skills, you may pay the bills. Yeah, that's true. That's Jay's so, new catchphrase. <laughs> so as uh, we get back to camp here, surprise, surprise, Jamie is kind of scrambling around for, for no reason. Uh, and it seems, I, I think he actually vocalizes it here that he, he knows he's going to be looked at as a threat later on, so he wants to work the Nakum 6 as much as possible, though he seems to be kind of throwing in some comments about how, you know, how st- Rafe is... Steph's little uh, little lap dog, and you know that he tells Cindy that he's scared about what Stephanie's going to do, and he's just 
pissing more and more people off. And this is uh, this is kind of where we see Rafe's last straw with him when he asks him to go play Mancala, and you know he's he he basically says I'm going to murder Jamie if he asks me one more time that that I'll he'll be protected from the vote. Yeah, well, it's funny. It's like the irony of this whole episode that Jamie was probably perfectly safe, except he just kept asking people if he was safe to the point that they just didn't want to listen to it anymore. So now you're not safe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an oft-forgotten rule in Survivor. Stop asking people that you're safe constantly. <laughs> yeah. Don't sell what's already sold. Yeah, very, very true. Because, I mean, uh, it's, it's one of the uh, like cardinal rules of Survivor is just to not annoy people and not piss people off in general, uh, which is kind of looked over in terms of other sh- p- points of strategy. But the fact is, Jamie annoyed the crap out of these people, Rafe specifically, and Rafe just had it. So he, he kind of snapped and he says, well, let's just get rid of Jamie this round. Yeah. And this once again kind of undercuts this idea that everything that happens on Survivor is strategy. No, sometimes it's just who you don't want to deal with anymore. And I think Jamie's a perfect example of that. Like, social game is a big part. And if you don't want to put up with someone 24-7, you're just going to get rid of them. It's the, the Lil Morris strategy as well, too. Like, do we have to deal with this person? It's the, it's, the six, it's the six against two. Normally, when you look at that, what you want to be, if, if you're in the minority there, if you're in the two and the other people are six, you sort of want to angle it so that you're the one left, which was Danny. And, and that's also a good thing because you know that they were probably going to try to get Gary out here with the vote because he, they, they're, they, he's the guy that they're sort of targeting at, the, at this point. So Jamie is jumping the gun here, and I think that the people, that the tribe of six probably wasn't thinking about voting Jamie out. It's when you get down to that one person left. So if it was six on one, so the next one at seven, that's when you sort of look internal into your own alliance and see, you know, try to make a power play there. And then you use that one remaining person as kind of like a, a, a vote to sort of manipulate things going your way. But the backside to that is, is that Jamie annoyed his tribe so much that they didn't look at that and they just said, well, we have six, they have two. Yep. We could get rid of one in theory, and you can't all you can't forget that you can't forget that if you're that far ahead, you can make some cuts early or at places where people don't expect it. And and poor Jamie got the axe here. And for uh, for reference, uh, for when this has happened before, look up Manthe, comma Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or uh, or Goldsmith, comma Kelly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you, you can, there are situations where the, your tribe might be, your alliance might be so cohesive that you'll be able to stick through no matter what. Uh, but I mean, this, this was clearly not the case. And, you know, uh, there, you might call Rafe as temperamental as you want to here, but the fact is he was miffed by it and he was one of the two head, figureheads of this alliance. So he decided to kind of make the, take him out in one fell swoop. The interesting thing about this next scene here is that he, goes to Lydia about it, and, and Lydia mentions it briefly, but it, it's kind of neglected the relationship that Jamie and Lydia had, which was shown in a couple scenes in Yasha, and I know we, we talked about it as kind of a behind-the-scenes thing, but I thought that was a nice little touch um, to kind of bring up something that wasn't really talked about except behind the scenes, that Jamie and Lydia really had this relationship as outsiders on Yasha from the beginning, and you know she, wants, she really wants to look out for him, but it's clear that the writing is kind of on the wall at this point. Yeah. And in his final words, she's the one that he keeps bringing up, too, that he's shocked she didn't warn him. Yeah. Yeah, they were really close. Yeah, so uh, after going to Lydia, and Lydia's, you know, not too sure, Rafe goes to Steph about the plan, and it looks like he, you know, ultimately 
succeeds in it though of course it's tribal it's you know survivor editing so they make it make it off like she's not sure what to pick but we we get to tribal council and you know judd has not been taken into the loop apparently cindy was off camera but we don't really see it it looks like from what i can infer from future episodes that they just they didn't tell judd because they just didn't want judd to react to that is that the case or did they did they purposely want to keep judd in the dark because he was so on the outskirts of the alliance at this point well, I just think Judd is such a wild card. He, you don't want him to have any chance to screw this up. And I would think that Judd and Delicate do not belong in the same sentence. We're sort of entering this era, and I, and I think this is an evolution of the game, and, and Jamie is going to sort of uh, hint at it with his very famous exiting words as he goes there, but they're going to blindside Jamie. They're going to take him out of the Majority Alliance, and they're not going to let him know, which hey, it's happened before, but you know, in Survivor a lot of people have said in, in earlier seasons and stuff like that, hey, if you're going to vote me out, just let me know. You know, and, and sometimes people that's all they want to know. Like, I guess they'll, they're okay with going home if they've got a little bit of preparation and, and stuff like that, but some people, when they give that whole, hey, you're going to go home, they use that information they use to turn it and scramble it and flip it. And so because of that, we have gotten to the point where you can't really tell people that they're going home anymore because things can happen. Rob Sesternino has showed us and Johnny Fairplay afterwards has shown us that you can flip alliances around. You can flip things all around and, and, and change voting strategies and come up with temporary voting blocks and so it's not safe anymore. So they need to get rid of Jamie. And I think that probably, Mike, what they were, not that Judd was on the outskirt of the alliance, but Judd, Judd's tribal councils, they ain't great. And I think that they probably were like, if we tell Judd, he's probably going to tip the hat at tribal council. And maybe Jamie can do some heartstring pulling with Lydia or something. And this is too tenuous. And so I think they probably didn't tell Judd because they just didn't trust what Judd was going to do at tribal council. To yeah. be fair, they they might have told Judd, but he does have ADD, so he might be looking at, lo, might have looking at something else at the time. Yeah, it might have been a squirrel on a tree branch or something. Uh, we'll get to the squirrels. Judd is Judd loves the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Judd and Jamie are in the minority, and they they vote for Gary. But Gary is surprisingly able to survive another day, as everyone decides this is the moment to take out Jamie. And Jay, as you mentioned before. We get the now famous words, blindsided, nice. Now that's how you vote somebody out. And I think that is, I think those words stuck in Jeff Probst's brain. And, you know, if the, if the crest of the Probst family would say, uh, say on it, besides, you know, like make big moves and you got to dig deep, is probably blindsided. That's how you, that's how you play this, vote somebody out. Um, <laughs> which, again, was not something that was, um, that it's, it was occasional throughout the first previous 10 seasons of the game but i think we'll see going forward a lot that this game is slowly going to become more and more about the art of the blind side yeah although i have to point out here that in a, a common theme in the season kind of starts here where rafe blindsides somebody and stephanie takes the blame for it <laughs> so true <laughs> there is that you know in in as we're making this transition from guatemala in the next couple seasons when they pull off a blind side like this it is sort of an eye-raising uh sort of thing but you know survivor has had so many seasons since then and as i said you almost have to blindside people that's how you play the game you you have to not let people know they're getting voted out because if you do there's chances that it can go wrong 
And so I feel like as the game has moved on and we've had season after season after season, I don't know that the word blindside needs a hashtag anymore. <laughs> yes, because, very true. Or I guess you can make it a synonymous hashtag, like hashtag blindside or hashtag voting somebody out. That's true. And, and yeah, the, the definition of blindside has expanded briefly. It's like when people use ironic for the wrong reason. You know, it's, it's become more of a blanket term now applied to anyone who's like, Raises an eyebrow that they got more than a vote at the tribal council. <laughs> so I guess I guess we can eulogize Jamie a little bit just because he had such an up and down edit that, you know, as I talked about before, he was seen as the big martyr last time for, you know, realizing what tribe unity was and taking that that last place meal. But uh, around those moments, he came across as this kind of paranoid lunatic, but... Uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, he did seem to be a pretty good sport about it. He just seems like a nut, but a good nut. Not not like a, a Shannon Elkins, like, seriously disturbed or Brandon Hans seriously disturbed type of nut. He just seems like a good-hearted type of nut. I just think he's paranoid. I mean, some people are more paranoid than others, and this game just absolutely wreaked havoc on his, his mental state. And what's interesting is when Rafe kind of came off the show and wanted to talk to me about about Guatemala. The two people he really wanted to talk to me about were Jamie and Judd and how difficult they were to live with on a daily basis. He goes, there's, you'll have no idea how much worse it was in real life than it was on TV. They were just like that every day. Like Jamie had mood swings, paranoia. He'd be happy. He'd be sad. He'd be angry. And it just constantly changed. You'd never know what he was going to be at that moment. But I have to say, I really like Jamie in the, fe- in the sense that he was very real like, I don't get any sense that he's putting on airs or trying to play to the cameras or anything throughout this whole season. I just think he's very genuine. And there's something to be said about that because you don't get a lot of that on Survivor where you watch mm-hmm. Jamie. I'm like, I, I have absolutely no doubt that's exactly what Jamie is like all the time. And yeah, he could be difficult. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want to go camping with him for 39 days. But I really appreciate the uh, genuineness that he brings to the season because that's very rare even in this season. There are some people that play the game and play it from a, a position sort of like how Stephanie played uh, the previous season, Palau. She was always, you know, Oolong was always losing and, you know, she was always in a place of trying to fight an uphill battle. And even when she survived the merge and got absorbed by Karor, even though she had, you know, made some relationships in those first couple of days with Tom and, and Katie and, and stuff like that, she was always sort of trying to fight her way in. And so sometimes you watch someone play the game and it's not like I really wish returnees, but sometimes you look at someone's time out there and you say, I wonder what it would be like if they were ahead in the game or, 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 or something like that. I would really like to see Jamie play when he is backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to see how he would respond in that sense because we mainly saw Jamie, he was fine, he was fine, he was fine, and then his alliance comes out on top sort of after the merge and he is playing from, from ahead and he does it very poorly. And his, his neuroticism and a lot of those sort of, you know, trying to look out for himself, he was trying to preserve himself when he didn't need to be preserved, and that got him in trouble. It'd be fun to see him if he's down, if any of that would be sort of a positive aspect on the game, or would he just nut himself out? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I, it's, it's like early, early Boston Rob almost. that you, He could only really play the game well from, one, from an underdog perspective instead of being in the dominant alliance. Yeah, and I was just going to say the same thing, that I've heard survivors over the years say that survivor is much more difficult to play when you're ahead than when you're behind. Mm-hmm. Because you're just waiting for the attack. You know the attack is coming, you don't know where or from when. 
or, or from who. So, and I think Jamie is a prime example of that. I think he would have been a really fun character if he was behind, but he was in the lead the entire time, pretty much once they grabbed power and it just absolutely drove him insane because he didn't have the mentality for it. So I have some sympathy for him. I mean, true. He was an asshole at times in the game, but it's really funny when you watch him, if you have the DVD of survivor Guatemala, watch some of his early show appearances and he's a lot like Bobby John. Like he's kind of just a good old Southern Southern gentleman. Like yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, yo, no, ma'am. Like he's very well mannered. He's not what you would expect him to be like. So I really like Jamie. I just mm-hmm. he's a hard one to to just nail in one sentence to say what he's like. He's he's very complex. But I I just I find him interesting. I think he is the most interesting character of this season. Did you like on his early show interview when he said he'd want Jamie Fox to play him in a movie? Yes, sir, I did. <laughs> I would I would love to I would love to see Jamie Fox play Jamie uh, yeah. Jamie Newton in in the film Survivor Guatemala. Yeah, it's funny the first half of the season of Survivor Guatemala I thought it actually was Jamie Fox out there. That's how convincing the uh the illusion was. Like a like a Robert Downey Jr. type of thing in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> it was just like that, yes. Except except the opposite way. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so he didn't go full, we- full retard. <laughs> so here we are, uh, episode 11, and this is where we're going to get the, the first of like a long string of uh, post-tribal council scenes where basically someone was not left in the loop, and they basically say, like, you should have just told me what was going to happen, and I'm, I'm pissed off because of that. And of course, that's Judd, and, and Steph has to take the heat for it, and she says she doesn't want to put him in, in an uncomfortable, uncomfortable position, but it totally brings up what you were talking about before, Mario, of... Uh, Rafe is kind of the one responsible of the move, but because of the position that Stephanie's in, she takes the responsibility for it, and she doesn't have any sort of golden parachute to help her on this one. <laughs> What's funny, I mean, we're going to jump ahead, but this happens really uh, uh, obviously later with the Cindy vote, where Stephanie says, but if we blindside Cindy, I'll take all the heat for it, and then she still does goes through with it and blindsides Cindy. <laughs> well, good job, Stephanie. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, it, does, it doesn't help if you just point it out. You have to actually go, you actually have to prevent the move from happening. But this shows, again, what I like about this show, and I guess what I like about uh, things as we move on season to season is that, you know, obviously it's very clear. Not everybody that plays Survivor, even today, not everyone that plays Survivor watches previous seasons of Survivor or watches more than two previous seasons of Survivor, being the two that they're shown as they're, you know, waiting for the game to start. That production shows them, which is usually like what heroes versus villains, and you know some other semi-recent season. Mm-hmm. But like, if you are a student of the game and you watch the game, Survivor Guatemala shows you sort of this this majority alliance on Shakum shows you how not to manage a jury in the sense of. They vote. They blindside Jamie. Great, Jamie's blindsided. But then they left Judd out, and they may have had good reasons to leave Judd out of the vote. But now Judd is pissed, and he's going to be thinking about that. And then he's going to get voted out, and he's like, "Oh, good, that's great." And then they're going to leave somebody else out of the vote, and they're going to leave somebody else out of the vote. And it's like then they're just going to go to the jury, bewildered and pissed off, and wondering why they were left out of things. And it's like that's that's not that's not gaining you favor later in the game. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best players in this game have kind of been able to uh, send send their allies off with like almost a pat on the back so that they'll come back and vote for them. And uh, Stephanie really does not accomplish that. She stabs them with that knife and makes sure it's it's wiggling there in their flesh for them to remember when they walk off. And and then she kind of you know casts a little bit of, of a dagger in the person who they, she didn't tell to kind of remember. Luckily, in this episode, as you said, Judd's able to 
fallback under her regime to get rid of Gary. But the fact is, like, if it had been somebody else besides Judd, maybe they would have had the initiative to instead try to flip something against Stephanie. <laughs> well, what's funny about Stephanie is this is into the mindset of Stephanie, the strategist here, is that Stephanie knows full well she's screwing up all these jury votes and just losing all these friends. Mm-hmm. And her only defense against that is her argument, well, Rafe did it too. That's her whole strategy. Rafe did it too. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, which again... Not- Will not will not fly, and this will this will actually come back to bite her in the final tribal council when I think Rafe asks like, okay, what was something you did that I didn't do? And Steph said, oh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it does it, not it, work. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about Stephanie on the jury later because this the next morning is when we get to see uh, Double O Judd come out. Uh, because Gary is kind of Gary and Lydia are kind of up in the morning, and Gary uh, just starts interrogating Lydia with these questions about the majority alliance, and Judd happens to be listening in. And I think this uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I, Judd doesn't confront him about it yet, but uh, he's he goes immediately goes to Stephanie and Rafe about the fact that that Gary has been interrogating her, and, and Gary uh, is is kind of caught with his pants down here. <laughs> Gary's a damn liar, man. He has to go, man. <laughs> Exactly. By the way, oh, that reminds me. This is right after the tribal council before, where Judd uttered the uh, immortal catchphrase that Gary is a man's man, man. <laughs> Just oh, had to point that God. out because I love that quote. So yes. So now Judd was very uh, appreciative of Gary, and now Judd has turned against Gary. Well, Gary was always sort of the he was that minority threat, and they put him on hold so that they can get rid of Jamie. But you know, Gary is is trying to stay in this game, and he's doing it in the sense of. He, the only way he knows how, which is he's going to try to father, not father, but just sort of like be that leader. Cause he can't help, but be sort of that leader. And he's just going to try to wiggle in as he can. And he notices that Lydia is sort of on the outside of this Alliance and he's going to try to pry information from her and get her swaying. And, you know, Lydia sort of recognizes it too, but it's like, they just don't have the numbers at this point. I got to say, Gary is really pretty good at this game. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we'll talk more about uh, Gary's last stand at the Tribal Council, but he, he makes some good points that had, the, had this alliance decide to be a little shakier at, during this round, it could have made some waves. And I mean, he, he really sells Lydia on these points in this episode. And I think, I think you know, had they had one more person, if they brought over Rafe, I think they, there was a good chance they could flip the game. It just... So happens that the people he was playing with decided uh, decided to not to keep him around any longer. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a shame that Gary's kind of a punchline because we just remember the Hogaboom stuff, and uh, admittedly we're very guilty of that since we have perpetuated the Hogaboom stuff, the Hawkins stuff while here. But he's actually a pretty good player. I think it's kind of a disservice to him that people just kind of laugh at his whole Hogaboom shtick because he was he's a pretty significant person in this season, as people know. A lot of Survivor is based on sort of luck, and not just luck in, as in, you know, sort of the draw, but even just who you're cast with out there. Who is on the cast with you? Gary is trying to make a move here. There is seven people left in the game now, right? Like, this is a prime time to sort of make a move. But the problem is, is that you have Judd, who is, you know, Judd, Judd is willing to switch alliances, or, or at least buddy up to an alliance, but Judd is not a mover and a shaker. You know, he's not going to you know, try to do some sort of alliance switch. And Lydia's on the outside and Danny's on the outside, but they have to pull one over. And the problem is, is that I think Steph and, and Rafe at this point sort of feel like they have each other mm-hmm. in, in or sort of, you know, they both have their, you know, Lady Macbeth hands bloodied together. And 
you know, they have Judd and Judd's unwilling to move. And Cindy is also, for as much as I love Cindy, Cindy is not really a mover or a shaker too. And it's like if, if either Judd or Cindy had been like a big mover or shaker, maybe they could make a move here. The other thing being that I think everyone out there wanted to go to the end with Stephanie. And yeah. so, you know, who do you make the move on? Like you probably need to make the move on Rafe. And that's a tough ask. Like, I think that, you know, it's not so apparent out there that they want to get rid of Rafe. And so the move is to try to make a move against Stephanie. And I think that that's tough where you have, A, not big movers and shakers, and B, moving against the person that you probably want to go to the end with. So it, it was sort of a, 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 double, a double whammy there for Gary. But you're right, Mario. In another season, maybe with another cast, he's got the tools to maybe make this move here at 7. Yeah, yeah. He's not I, just your typical, you know, celebrity athlete that comes on the show mm-hmm. and it's kind of a gimmick. He's pretty good at this. Yeah. And I you Jay, you bring up bring up a fantastic point there about Stephanie and I feel like uh I mean everyone out there wanted to take Stephanie to the end because she was basically a goat from like day 1 of, you know, no I think you talked about this before Mario when you brought up Rave's perspective that nobody out there wanted a returning player to win. This was yeah. their game, the new cast game and they wanted someone to win there. So It's weird, and I think the show had to kind of build up this narrative of Stephanie being a a powerful player because they, it's it's kind of murder for the show at this point to say like, well, Stephanie has no chance to win, so that's so that's why they're keeping Stephanie around, and they they want to keep as many winner chances possible to make for an exciting show. But the truth is that they were keeping they had to keep Stephanie around because everyone wanted to take her to the end. So. You know, they it's it, you have scenes like this, or you'll have a bunch of scenes coming up where people are like, "Well, we have to turn against Stephanie." You know, she's she's the ringleader, but the truth behind it is nobody wants to turn against her because they knew she was she basically was a, had a million dollar check attached to her ass that you could just grab off and wave off the top of your head at the end of the day. Yep, same reason people didn't turn against Lil in Pearl Islands. Yeah. So. Um, so and we, we get a little bit of perspective from Lydia here in this scene, too. And, and Lydia is an interesting character, too, that kind of ebbs and flows in terms of her edit. Uh, you know, we've basically be, seen her before as, like, the pancake dancing lady who just wants to cheer people up. But she shows us a good amount of, uh, a good amount of thought to her here and complex, complex strategy here when, when she talks about, you know, I'm in cover my own ass mode. She kind of regrets whether voting out Jamie was a good move. And this episode, since Gary's main move right now is to bring over Lydia, this episode focuses a good amount around Lydia, which is nice because she's someone who kind of comes and goes in Survivor history. And kind of like Gary, she's only really remembered for the, uh, you know, for the pancake dance. But the fact is, you know, and, and Rafe can attest to this, that she was an extremely popular person out there. And, you know, she was a huge threat because she really was a good case to win that money. Yeah, and it was one of those things where she really needed the money. She kind of had a good sob story. Her life was kind of in a rough state at the moment. She needed the money. Like she gets to the end, and they're going to want her to have that money. So she was a very, very much a contender to win this season. Yeah, but from what we saw, it was just that like she sucked in challenges and she was a goofball. So I'm happy for scenes like this because it at least gives us a little more insight into into one of the final seven people that are here, which is what the show's supposed to do. Yes. So uh, we get to the reward challenge, and this is basically coconut chop, but it's uh, it's hit a person's pot of corn with your hammer. Um, and, yeah, they, go ahead. They love, they love the corn imagery in this season. The corn comes all over the place around this time. Yeah, basically they're like, well, what are the Maya known for? Uh, chocolate and corn. <laughs> Uh, so this is, uh, so, you know, the, Stephanie is actually eliminated first, as we talked about before. I, I think specifically with Lydia, it's 
the fact that she's been on so many food rewards, but Steph is not happy. What's she's she's very snippy when she gets eliminated. Yeah, you wouldn't think Stephanie would be snippy about things, but she is in this case. <laughs> Uh, oh my god Jacum. well it's good because she gets the final she gets the final hit you know Lydia gives her the final hit and Lydia just says look I'm hungry and you've had a lot of rewards so is Gary so, so is Danny so is Danny yeah so she's uh she's uh, it's clear you could tell that she's pissed off because she just mouths off she doesn't even give any thought to what she's saying uh but Sydney actually comes through with a win, which usually is, is the person that wins these challenges is someone who's like kind of in the middle of these alliances. And she well, it comes down to at the end, she, she and Rafe have the same number of pots. So at a, at a point it's the, whoever is getting the most questions right at that point, like the whole mm-hmm. coconut chop goes away. And the last question was about an animal. And I was like, the Oh crocodile, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well let's give the zookeeper the animal question. Good, 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 good. <laughs> I know it was random. I'm not, I'm not shouting conspiracy on this one. It was just funny. It was just like, well, it wasn't about television writing or anything. It was about an, an animal and poor Rafe. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. about Mormon doctrine. <laughs> when did Joseph Smith found <laughs> write the Book of Mormon? What does that have to do with the Maya? Uh, so, so, but Rafe gets the additional benefit of being brought onto the reward, which usually with these rewards, if Stephanie is brought, not brought onto a reward, Rafe is this season. Uh, so it again goes hand-in-hand hand with, with the two of them uh, working together. And this time, the, just the two of them get a trip to... It's like a weird uh, site where there's like hot, sp- a hot springs in a lake and then there's a really cold waterfall. So it creates what Jeff calls this spa-like atmosphere. Yeah, the waterfall is hot, but then the oh. water is cold. So it was the like they were, in, they were in a hot shower with the cool water around. So it's like taking the ice bucket challenge in a shower. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not dating this podcast whatsoever now by wow. bringing that up. <laughs> well, yeah, this is the thing where everyone thought that the that Cindy should take Lydia along because Lydia hasn't eaten, and it's a big boo-hoo kind of moment in, this, in the in the episode, and then Cindy takes Rafe instead. So it's kind of the thing where we're meant to feel bad for Lydia, although she's a little bit whiny about it. But it's kind of a little subplot here that's going to come back, back later. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, on the other hand, while Lydia's whiny about it, Stephanie, in my opinion, is whinier about it. At least the stuff she showed, she's, she's like, well, boo-hoo for Lydia. I'm sick of hearing your crap. You're lucky you're here. <laughs> America's sweetheart. It is yeah. interesting, because you said, Mario, that Rafe said that one of the narratives that they were thinking about out there was just the fact that Lydia was sort of, it was this, Lydia was driving a narrative, like, oh, Lydia is this person that everyone likes. And I'm not saying that Rafe is wrong. Clearly, Rafe is right. He was out there. But what's funny is that Lydia never gets picked on any of this stuff. You know, not only is she not winning challenges, clearly, but she's not getting picked. And I think with Cindy, Cindy shows a consistency because she wins this one. And then also in the car challenge later on, she sort of picks second place usually. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I just I just watched this this morning in her early show segment after she was voted out. Cindy says, well, every time I want a reward, I didn't want Rafe and Stephanie back at camp plotting because they were the only two running the show. So I'd always take one or the other so they couldn't talk together when there I wasn't go. there. So that's that uh-huh. was Cindy's thing. So so not only that, not only is she in theory taking a second place, which you know, is a nice, you know, take the pressure off. Oh, I'm just going to take the second place person. She's taking Rafe or Stephanie because for strategic reasons, but she's also not taking Lydia. No one takes Lydia. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, they're, they were all worried about Lydia driving this. She's so likable narrative and nobody's taking her anything. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's like they just don't take her seriously. It's like we have six players out here and Lydia, and we're all scared because we're going to forget about Lydia, and then she's going to sneak in and take our money. Because there's legitimate Which is time. funny because it, ha- it happens with Danny. That's the, that's the exact yeah. thing that happens with Danny. It's, it's the exact same. And what's funny is that, you know, they're not taking Lydia seriously, and 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 they're worried about Lydia driving this narrative. But you see other seasons of Survivor where they really are like, you need to take this person because they're hungry, and they do. Or you need to take this person because of this... Uh, reason whatsoever and it's like nobody ever takes Lydia and Lydia's like hey I'm I'm starving and little and and <laughs> please and everyone's like mm, just make fish stew or whatever you're doing <laughs> Lydia you know one thing that I would suspect why that happens is because this season is so harsh and so much more difficult physically than other seasons I think they really needed that food people really needed it yeah. So, like, if it was an easier season where it's okay if you don't eat today, okay, we'll give it to Lydia. But I think on this one, they were really just dying of the elements and of the food, and they just needed rewards. Yeah, so th- this is where uh, Stephanie also kind of ramps into, like, a lecture where she's, like, asking everyone how many food rewards they've won. Because uh, she's still really harping on this point that Lydia took her out. And I, uh, this is where Gary gets the confessional where he says, I don't think Stephanie's lost any weight out here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think he's the first person on survivor to point that out I, I think the first people to do it in general were the were the sucksters pointing out whether katie lost any weight on plow but gary's the first contestant on air to to to, to make the assumption that nobody lost that stephanie didn't lose weight on survivor and i like the subtle editing too where he, he says you know she's always eating the corn and, and nuts she's always eating the corn and as stephanie is you know doing her tirade about how many rewards have you been on? Have you been this? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of people saying this because you've eaten and you've eaten and I don't want this to be a big thing. And she's stuffing her mouth with like the corn feed <laughs> as she's doing this. Yeah. That is really great. well done. Yeah. I was watching that and I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I should have written on the funny 115 about that. That is a great little editor's joke. <laughs> do, how long do you, th- how quickly do you think they went through that reward challenge so that the producers didn't risk having Stephanie eat the corn out of all those pots? <laughs> 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 let's get the move on we don't stephanie's looking at that stuff we, we gotta we gotta we gotta play through play through um i can't so, wait till we get up i can't wait till we get up to the sacrificial chicken that was such a funny scene when you watch it I know, I'm, I'm like we got more episodes to go we need to we need to speed up guys <laughs> uh so this is so sydney and rafe have an interesting bit of time at the uh at the spa here where they get the massages and uh it, they actually have like a moment where they they end up talking strategy and rafe kind of makes the statement that him and sydney are in this together which of course kind of counteracts him turning on her immediately two episodes from now but i think i think that's that's interesting because again we don't see too too much of cindy throughout this game so you know any sort of bits we get to gather about her and her relationships with everyone is interesting especially this whole thing about how she cindy's not a very touchy person but rafe is so he got to he was happy he got to touch her all over in the in the waterfall (laughs) yeah it's not creepy though because it's rafe exactly well there's that and also it's the it's the subtle edit and it's you know, sort of like how we have the subtle edit of Stephanie eats a lot that is sort of ramping up. It's the edit as we get in these last few episodes, and it's it's a, it's not a very prominent storyline, but it is a storyline which is Cindy is a little bit socially awkward. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you get it here, and you know she's not a very touchy feely person, and that's fine. Not everyone has to be. I know plenty of people that aren't touchy feely people uh, and whatnot, but this is going to come into especially during the car episode. You're going to see a lot of sort of the being slightly socially awkward, not reading social cues. Yeah. And they went, they were talking about that in the first episode when remember they get to the camp and all she cares about is the monkeys and stuff and Mm -hmm. no one else gives a crap. Yeah. And she pissed off Judd by just talking, you know, by giving facts about the animals instead of actually doing anything. 
And just think of how much more creepy this scene would have been if it had been Judd in the waterfall with Cindy instead of Rafe, where Judd is going on and how often he got to touch her. As long as he had a beer in one hand. <laughs> got a beer in one hand, I got Cindy's boob in the other hand, man. Well, I, I believe that it's a damn beer in one hand, man. I'm sorry, I misquoted him there. I got, uh, a, I got a freaking damn beer in one hand, man. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, has anybody worked on their Cindy impression? No. No, sorry. I'm really disappointed in you two guys. Look, well, I've, I've been bringing Bobby John since day one. <laughs> you back off. That's true. Jay, Jay, Jay has a pass for this, for this season now. Yeah, well, but Bobby John was I last believe season. I will kick your ass. That was last season. You're, riding on, you're resting on your laurels. I am resting on my laurels. But Bobby John had a 2-0 season arc. And you could blame Survivor for that. But don't blame me. All right. Uh, so, the, the, you know, when, the, when they come back from the reward, Lydia kind of uh, apparently starts playing the martyr with her fish, too. But this is where we get an interesting thing where now that Jamie's out, the new foursome is apparently Steph, Rafe, Judd, and Cindy. And they basically say, like, okay, Lydia's been consorting with the, with the enemy. Lydia's out. Um, and then there's, you know, we, we talk about this, this pyramid as kind of an editing choice where, like, the people in power tend to sit up top. And there's a nice... Uh, scene the next morning where the four of them sit at the top of the pyramid and apparently they all turn to each other and they say like, wouldn't they just be great if it was the final four? Uh, so I just, I love the imagery of that pyramid used yep. throughout the season. And the coffee. The coffee is almost also the international scene of evil. That's true. That's true. Only the most <laughs> evil people drink coffee. Well, I mean, the, the, the conquistadors, I'm sure, drank a lot of coffee when they conquered the Maya. <laughs> now, is Rafe supposed to be drinking coffee? He's Mormon. I didn't think they drank coffee. Is that a thing? I, I thought they don't do caffeine. I have no idea. I mean, I don't know how strong of, uh, of a, a Mormon rape was, considering I don't think he wore his magical Mormon underwear when he was out there. Well, yeah, and also he was gay. <laughs> I was going to say, the coffee wouldn't be the first uh, time he's, he's uh, veered off from Mormon doctrine. That's a weird line, man. He won't eat the sacrificial chicken, but he will drink coffee. <laughs> That's that's going to be their main caveat. Like, brother rape, you are out of the church for drinking of the of the the uh, tainted coffee. I saw you with that cup of Folgers. <laughs> so uh, we get to we get to the immunity challenge, and this is our uh, our our folklore challenge that was seen in a lot of these earlier seasons of Survivor. And this is the uh, story about basically about why the moon and the sun are not seen in the sky at the same time. And uh, this is a, it's, it's surprisingly deals with a lot of like two timing and affairs, which I did yeah. not realize that Michelle, the Maya... getting busy. I didn't realize that the Maya or like the like, you know, soap operas were based off of the Maya folklore. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say when I was watching the scene with the moon, it's the whole Mayan folklore about the moon goddess Ishel. Basically, the whole story is that the moon goddess Ishel is a huge whore. <laughs> yeah, basically, like, she had an affair. Then she had another affair. Then she had another affair. They, they got angry. <laughs> yeah, and, then, <laughs> Which, again, and, then, and then she was shunned, and that's why the moon and the sun, because she, she was with the sun, and then she had an affair on the sun, and then, you know, now, now she's been shamed, and no one wants anything to do with her. And so she's <laughs> by herself, and I'm sitting there going, like, what? What is this story? <laughs> so you see, kids, the reason why the moon's in the sky at night is because she got slut-shamed. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. It's funny that Probst gives the players so much crap at the end of the season because they didn't respect the gods for the sacrifice. Yet the show decides to focus an entire challenge on slut-shaming a Mayan moon goddess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I, I only wish that they had brought in Bobby John to tell the story since he is such an expert on Maya culture. <laughs> well, sir, there was this Maya goddess, Ishel. 
and she she done laid with a man, and, but it was a god, see. But then but then she done laid with another man, and and that was no good. And Wilsa, people got upset. <laughs> And he Rupert went to Reese. his he went to his John Deere and he was like, I am going to drive this John Deere away from you, woman. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, Rupert uh, would say that Rupert would say that whole story was not good. <laughs> <laughs> so would Rafa. <laughs> okay, one more joke. I'm not done with this one yet. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but if you ever heard Jeff Probes talk about poverty as a survivor legend. And yes. Probst is always going on and on that Parvati, oh, she's flirted with the guys and she used her feminine wiles. And Parvati's like, that's not all I did. I like I was oh, strategic. Yeah. Like yeah. and so Probst just totally fixates on the fact that he thinks she was slutty, which she wasn't. <laughs> so by that logic, Jeff Probst would think that Ishell was the greatest survivor player ever. <laughs> greatest goddess he, ever. <laughs> that's probably why he included her in the story, because he thinks she's the greatest strategist ever. Like, oh, no, no, no. Who's, who's this goddess? The one that's been sleeping around? Oh, yeah. man. She she uses her looks to win the goddess game. Let's put her on. <laughs> more of her. More horror stories. <laughs> so, uh, this, uh, let's see. Who wins this one? I believe Rafe wins this one, right? Yep. I think the goddess Ishell wins this one, actually. <laughs> the goddess Ishell's win this one. Yes. Yeah, Rafe uh, wins this one. Yeah, uh, Gary, I think Gary gets close, but uh, Ray Fed's up winning. And again, we get another confessional about him uh, being so surprised that he's won everything uh, up to this point. But this is, uh, this, again, this is Gary's last stand as uh, he has Danny and he kind of has Lydia. So the, the next logical step is for him to get Rafe. And, you know, as much, uh, as much comforting as Rafe does, I, you could kind of tell that the writing's on the wall at this point. I think Gary is much too big of a threat to keep, to keep around in the game at this point. Oh, but he is going to go out with a bang. Yeah, the story here is not, I mean, we could focus on the scrambling, but it's not very good scrambling. I mean, as, as you pointed out, Mike, the writing is kind of on the wall. Rafe is entertaining. He's, 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 he's humoring Gary and just listening and sort of agreeing with him. But really, the scramble part's not the, the star. And it's the tribal council. And that's something I can say for Survivor Guatemala. I was never really disappointed very much by tribal councils in Survivor Guatemala. They delivered every time. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Jamie one, it's funny. A lot of people remember that as being a great episode. When I was watching it, it actually wasn't a great episode. It's kind of mediocre, but the ending is good. And then you got the ending of this one and the ending of the Judd one. There's a lot of good tribal councils in this in this in a row here. Yeah, but let's 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 just get to this tribal council because it's so good. And this is really good. Again, I'll I'll, I'll coin it Gary's last stand because this is where he just he he scorches this earth. Um, and it's, it starts off with you know Lydia. Lydia brought up earlier in the episode that everyone puts step up on a pedestal. She argues that it's because she's you know, such a, a big threat, but I think we've inferred that it's because she's such a big goat. Uh, and, you know, Lydia it brings it up out loud at Tribal Council, and Steph, of course, rolls her eyes about it, that she's going crazy about the idea. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Gary gives this great quote. You know, he's like, uh, I personally like Steph, but there are some people here that are starstruck by her. That's not her fault, but, you know, they can all probably get her autograph after the show. And it's uh, so... Good. And then, of course, cut to Bobby, John, and Jamie, which we didn't talk about yet. Uh, the two of them are on the jury, and even though they patched things up, um, they were regarded in the game as big rivals, but now they are broing down so hard. This, this where, is a bromance of broiest proportions. The point of where Jamie is, like, leaning on Bobby, John, like, snuggling him, laughing his head off at Gary's comment. <laughs> yeah, that a great moment. I'm really happy I got a chance to write about that one on the Funny 115. It really is one of the best moments of the season where Stephanie gets slammed and they cut over to our two 
former rivals giggling in each other's arms. Yeah, it's and they have a few more moments later on, but it's just so fantastic because it's only the two of them. And you can tell that like once the game is over, they totally bonded over the fact that they're both lunatic southern gentlemen. Uh, so it's it's fantastic to watch. And then, you know, we segue here into once again to the talk about lying. And Judd has affirmed that <laughs> he hasn't lied yet. But we have a nice moment from Judd here because it's, of course, in true Judd fashion. He doesn't just say, you know people are lying he's, he's like well you know i gotta start lying because there have been lies over here over there over there over here there's lies everywhere man <laughs> i'm gonna start damn lying man <laughs> also i don't want to bring this up now i wanted to bring it up later but I, i'm gonna at least lay the seeds now does judd know the definition of lying <laughs> no like like the 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 concept of lying is judd aware of it because his final tribal council question baffles me to this day about when he when Danny says like she told people she was going to vote for them when they did it and he said like well it looks like you lied a bunch of times well not only that but then he 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 interrogates Steph and says you lied to my wife and Steph says that wasn't a lie then I was going to take you and then things happen he's like well I'm not there now so you lied yeah I think Judd thinks that a lie is like at the moment if anything happened before that that is not that's contradictory to it it is a lie <laughs> so like yeah. So, like, them saying, you know, in Copernicus's day when people were saying the Earth was flat, that is a lie, according yeah. to Judd. That's a damn lie. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, Judd is just, like, a strict empiricist. I yeah. think that's it. Yeah. So that's how he would define himself. So Judd, um, so Judd brings up the fact that, you know, Gary was talking to Lydia about getting rid of Cindy, or no, like, about keeping Cindy and her around, when apparently he talked about in the last reward about getting rid of them but gary correctly points out that that's not really lying he didn't say like okay well you're the strongest lydia so i'm gonna keep you around but just seems to somehow think that's a lie and of course gary pulls out of the stops when he goes no no this is a lie hey guys the aisle is on the ground that's a lie and judd is flabbergasted (laughs) (laughs) okay man you got me i lied once i told you i'm a bad liar man which I thought was a good playoff by Judd. More than anything else, I, I think that was good when he just says, all right, so I lied about the idol. He got caught in a lie, and it's really funny that Gary totally slams him. And he's like, I told you, I'm a bad liar, man. I think that's, that was a really good playoff there. Yeah. Not that I think that it mattered in any way, shape, or form. And really what's important is, yeah, Gary slammed him. And it's funny because I think Judd has a point because Gary was talking about keeping the strongest and keeping the people who deserve to be here. And he was clearly saying that Lydia and Cindy didn't deserve to be here. But now he's trying to work with them because they're all he has. And Judd's trying to point that out. But he frames it in the sense of you lied when it's not really a lie. It's just changing you know what you yeah, need in this tactic, game yeah. changing a tactic in the game but but the response by gary you're right mike the the oh the idol's on the ground it was in a tree i found it it was in a tree he was lying and it's like that was so good yeah and you can <laughs> tell he was holding on to that information for well for two rounds now and he, i think i think he he even knew that the writing was on the wall so he's like all right might as well drop this bomb while i can it wasn't you know as big of a bomb since i think everyone kind of wrote off Judd at this point anyway as, as not the most adept person for this game, but I, I still think it's great that he just decided to unleash this truth bomb at the moment. Yep, if nothing else, he was having fun on his way out. Yep, very true, and he he is on his way out. Uh, he's voted out unanimous, unanimously, so I guess at some, you know, again, writing was on the wall, I'm sure Danny and Lydia were probably informed that the plan didn't go through before tribal council so they they vote against him as well though danny doesn't have a, a chris doherty-esque burnham all sarge 
type of confessional. But uh, we get Judd likes to talk about squirrels a lot, apparently. Uh, and this is where we get our first instance here, where, where Judd calls uh, says Gary's been running around the jungle for two days like a squirrel looking for a damn nut. <laughs> Yes. I guess I guess he's got to relate it to what he's known for. And I mean, New York City is known for pigeons and squirrels, so that, that's all he sees. At least he wasn't like, you know, I don't know, something about Pollocks or something. <laughs> <laughs> they cut that part out. Yeah, that, that was an unshown part of his uh, of his tribal council vote. Uh, but yeah, Gary Gary is gone, and I feel like we've eulogized eulogized him before. But uh, in terms of you know the the quote unquote stunt casting done on Survivor, I think uh, Gary is is the top echelon in terms of like actually playing a pretty solid game while at the same time bringing a lot of entertaining moments. So Gary Hogaboom slash Hawkins, we will miss you. And I should point out that in his final words, he mentions that nobody knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> he they kept they, up with that lie all the way to the end. No got one him. <laughs> they can go online and they'll they'll be lurking for years. <laughs> <laughs> got him. I got him. Ugh. So while uh, so you know while the previous couple of of uh, post tribal council things have been tense about people being left out of the vote and you know lying and everything, uh, this episode comes with Lydia uh, smelling sausage and eggs and Judd saying that Steph farted in her sleep. So you know. <laughs> Six in, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. It's <laughs> That's funny a because good line. You, you, yeah. see, you see these instances where Lydia is trying to relate to them. And it's like yeah. they just sort of brush her off. Yeah. Yeah, she's like a mascot. Yeah, like a mascot. Also, I have to say, at this point, Lydia's hair is incredible. Oh, so <laughs> it is like probably like a good like nine inches high at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's just like up <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, with the you know grease and grime that's in there like it is just like up and stiff and out and it's it's amazing i sort of want my hair to do that <laughs> um so this is where you know we really get the intro we basically get the introduction of danny in this episode because um, <laughs> yeah. as she points out she's low on the totem pole and she's you know she's the last shot remaining um and you know i think her first step is uh, she brings up that you know the, the she could really find a crack in this alliance by bringing up all the lying that was talked about at the last tribal council. Though she seems, she seems to notice that everyone's kind of ignoring it, as displayed by both the talks about Stephanie's farts and the fact that uh, Jacum decides to have like a cartwheel contest or something in the morning. Yes. Uh, but then we have uh, apparently Danny, of course, can do like these flawless cartwheels. Hey, now Judd was surprisingly pretty good at his cartwheels. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, it was like watching the uh, Chris Farley Chippendale sketch. He's surprisingly agile. I wonder if he like now. I want like a Judd backstory. If he was like a, a a Russian gymnast that almost made it to like the '88 Olympics, and then he one one stumble ruined his career, so he became an, became an embittered New York doorman. <laughs> when the damn union broke apart, man, they became the unified country and the damn Belarus and the freaking Ukraine. I was. Just, I had to get out of there, man. It was just a freaking mess. Like Turkmenistan, is that even, what is that, a freaking country or what is that? <laughs> the first thing I think of when I think of Judd is Eastern Bloc. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, D- Danny tries to make a plan that she can maybe pull in Lydia and someone else and tries to break up the alliance. So that this plan kind of disseminates a little bit when she realizes that all she needs to do is just kind of put the worm in Judd's ear about getting rid of people. But we, yeah. we have an auction to get to, gentlemen. Well, auction. let's point out before the auction, it's five against one. That's why it's Danny against the world at this point. 
Yes, it's Dan against the, the alliance of five that all voted together last round. So for for right now, they seem to be intact. And as you've hinted at, Mike uh, and Mario, as, as we've all sort of hinted at, Danny has not been revealing her strategy during confessionals. So she hasn't given the editors a whole ton of sound bites. And that's sort of why she's been semi-silent in all these episodes. But you have been seeing she's been doing something not necessarily that's game-winning. It eventually becomes game-winning. She needs help still. She needs a ton of help. So anyone that says, ah, she had it in the bag from, from, from day one, no. But what she did do with her time, even though she is not a, at an advantage and she needs a ton of help, you can see that she built a relationship with Steph. She's built a relationship here with Lydia. She's been building a relationship with Rafe. She's sort of getting in everyone's good graces, and she became the last person left in the Minority Alliance, which is a good place to be. And if you've built those relationships, you have a platform from which to work. She's given herself that platform. She needs some help now. Yep. Although I will point out the best relationship she has developed is the one with the producers who are going to rig an immunity challenge for her now. <laughs> that's, that's no, no, true. no, no. Hold on. That's, I know. Uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is a pretty, you know, straightforward auction too much. There's uh, only a few highlights I can get is that uh, the, ver- uh, the very first item is uh, a plate of beef jerky and Danny immediately bids on it for $20 and nobody else wants the beef jerky. So I think that shows the, the true regionalism of this cast that nobody cares about a plate of beef jerky. <laughs> That's pure protein. I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Um, another highlight for me is that Lydia reveals that she has mosquito bites all over her ass. <laughs> I think we all were wondering that prior to the scene. That was one of our really uh, lingering questions throughout this season was who has mosquito bites all over their ass? I'd like yeah. to know all the things that were won in this auction because I have a very, you know, I have a very big feeling that not everything that was won was shown. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. you had like six six items total in this auction. Well, not only that, but the money starts to not add up. What we see and what's really funny is compared to as auctions go, as seasons go on further, especially with what comes up, Danny wins the beef jerky for 20 bucks and then Lydia wins the mosquito net and then the next one is the cup, the big covered item. Right, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the Philly cheesesteak. Oh, there was there was cookies that Cindy uh, the, won. Cindy, yes, Cindy won cookies for forty dollars. For forty bucks, but then they get the big covered item, which is the huge Philly cheesesteak and fries and ketchup and you know the, a, a huge meal. And Danny and Rafe end up pooling money and split the the huge cheesecake. But this is sort of important in the sense that we see Danny win two items. Danny is out a bunch of money, and then Jeff Probst drops the bomb. Yeah, so this is a a large advantage of the next immunity challenge. This is a this is a first for the survivor auction that this was being offered, which comes into play here. Um, I think a lot of people retroactively, especially newer people to the series, look back on this and they say, "Well, why didn't the majority alliance try to pull their money together to block Danny from having this advantage?" I mean, and Danny kind of almost brought it on herself, put herself in a corner because she spent so much money at this point, like you said, Jay. But the fact is. The way Jeff kind of phrases this advantage, it's not a guaranteed win like we see nowadays in a lot of these uh, auction advantages. It's more like you can use this and it will help your chances. And I think we'll talk well, it's talked about later in the episode, but I think everyone kind of countered out Danny doing well in the challenges anyway. But they kind of thought like, oh, let her have it. It doesn't really matter. Well, also, they figure it doesn't matter. If, if she wins immunity, they can just vote out Lydia. So they don't care. Yeah, that's very true, too. Yeah, it's one of those things. I've, this has always bugged me, these advantages in immunity challenges, because if you look at this one, basically that advantage was you can win this challenge. Like, yep. 
that that was such an advantage and most of them are most of them are such an incredible advantage that no one ever loses so it's really an, an, an excuse for the producers to just say, okay, who needs the immunity the most? We're going to rig it so you will get immunity tonight. It's, it's a very sneaky way of handing immunity to whoever they want it to win. And that's why this, this always bugs me. This rubs me the wrong way in this episode and pretty much any time it happens in Survivor history. Because that's what it is. Like If you're leading the game, you don't need an immunity advantage. You're not going to vote bet on it. The only person who's going to go all out is the person who needs it, who is at the bottom. Well, not anymore. Now the now the evolution has gotten to the point to where when auctions come, usually one or two people, the people that need it, know that they need to bet their all their money on the advantage. But then there are people that are in the majority alliance that hold on to their money to block, and so yeah. now it's less of an issue. But it, we get there, and what's funny is that we see the naivete of the situation where we see that Danny has spent money. Danny is the one that clearly is wanting the advantage in in the next immunity challenge and she starts the bidding and some people sort of start to bid with her a little bit, but she keeps driving the price up within the money that she has and she wins the uh, advantage and you're sitting there going other people had more money than she did. They should have kept, they should have bid priced her out of it and kept the advantage for themselves, but they just didn't, I guess, like you said, Mike, it's the first time it happened. Maybe they didn't think it was that big of a deal I don't know what it was, but it's fun to see that now because nowadays that's not happening. People are going to just immediately drop 500 bucks on that uh, advantage and game's done. Well, yeah, that's the thing because they know it's automatic immunity. Yeah. Well, you, might, yeah. you might as well just say you're bidding on immunity. Yeah, exactly. For I mean, for all they know, the the advantage of this next challenge could have been like, oh, you have one, you have, uh, you get to miss one turn, so you don't have to flip one more tile over like that. Yeah. It could have been so negligible, but the fact is, like we said, we'll, you know, we'll retroactively find out that it turns out to always be a huge advantage. <laughs> Not only that, but it's it's just one of those things that she has this game changing advantage, and then during the challenge, probes is practically telling her when to switch and who to switch with. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. There's we'll lots of things about. Yeah, there's things about Guatemala that rubbed me the wrong way, and this whole challenge kind of taints the ending for me. This 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 whole thing just kind of ruins it for me. Uh, but let's let's we as much as uh, this this taints it for you. We have we have the heartwarming stuff to get to Mario because the next thing up, uh, that it turns out they've combined the auction with the loved ones challenge this season, as uh, all the all the loved ones come running around the corner and basically they're bidding for an overnight uh, stay for the loved ones to for their respective loved one to come back to camp and it's uh, Cindy's twin sister Mindy, one of three sets of identical twins this season, uh, Rafe's mom. Danny's brother, Judd's wife, Lydia's brother, who apparently she hasn't seen in two years. What is that? <laughs> yeah, I don't let's, know. Let's explain that a little, probes. <laughs> yeah, how was how was he contacted? Like, were there no other relatives that she had spoken with somewhat recently? They had to reach out to the brother that she hasn't talked to in two years. <laughs> That's like a degree above Dara and the boy that she might have just met before coming onto the show. <laughs> Well, let's go over these three sets of twins because I'm fascinated by this in Guatemala. So it's it's Cindy and Mindy. It uh-huh. is Jamie and Ramey. Uh huh. And Judd and I don't know Dud or Bud. Yeah, I was thinking Pud. <laughs> like Pud. <laughs> Judd and Pud. But yeah, that that is literally Jamie's twin brother is Ramey. So Jamie and Ramey and then Cindy and Mindy. These are all real identical twins. And Judd has and, a an identical twin. We just don't know the name. And this is Mindy's uh, first of many appearances on reality TV. She yes. would later appear on Rock of Love Bus, and she would win a season of I Love Money on VH1. And she has the exact same accent as Cindy. It's creepy. 
If only we could pull it off, then we could do Cindy and Mindy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Just imagine as view as listeners if we were doing impressions of Cindy and Mindy right now. Just picture that in your head how awesome that would be. Think we of sh- the ratings. <laughs> God, we should have had the female person. Yeah, we should have had Kristen. Kristen. <laughs> God, Mike, you suck. Uh boy. I mean, I'm so glad you're here, buddy. That's good. So um, this is this is an interesting, you know, the the way the bidding ends up is interesting because basically Step just demands money from Lydia. Uh, doesn't you know she? Uh, whereas I think you know Cindy kind of gives Judd money because they have a camaraderie. Stephanie's just like Lydia, give me money so I can so I can see my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, because because Jeff specifically says, and it's funny that I noticed noted him saying that was that you can pool money, but only one person's going to win, and I guess you know you can share food, but he says that at the beginning because he knows that this is going to be a thing that the loved ones are coming out and he's saying you can pull money together but only one person is winning their loved one so you know stephanie's like lydia give me money so that i can win my loved one which is my (laughs) boyfriend which is my jersey boyfriend of many years that i'm totally not going to marry and marry a baseball player instead yeah that's the funny thing you watch this now how awkward it is that that's not stephanie's husband now (laughs) (laughs) i love it for all for all we know she could have left him in the guatemalan jungle (laughs) Well, she had to go eat. She was hungry. Yeah, flaming on pizza. Um, so, so Judd and Judd and by proxy Cindy end up getting more money. So he wins a visit from his wife Kristen, and he can pick two other ones. So he naturally picks Cindy, who helped him win, and he picks his Jersey girl Steph. <laughs> and Rafe is kind of besides himself. He's he's pretty much weeping after not being able to see his mom. Which again, it, it's tough. It, it's it's really funny because this is it's something that's actually going to rear its head next season in Panama Exile Island with the loved ones because Terry makes a decision there because uh, because there's a decision made of you know bringing loved ones back to camp mm-hmm. and you know it's it's the whole fact of like Terry one of the Terry's rationale is that he chose loved ones like spouses and and things of that nature and and not you know your mother. Or your sister, like he 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 said, hey, it's your family. You you know you see them, but this is you know a connection, a loved one, a spouse. And it's really funny because Rafe is like falling apart because he wants to have his mother out there, and it, he just is summarily ignored. It seems. Yeah, and we, and we have to bring up also the fact that I mean we talk about Lydia getting ignored. Lydia hasn't seen her brother in two years. No one will take her on a food reward. She's starving. <laughs> She's starving, and then they're like, oh, you haven't seen your brother in two years. Well, wave goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you just saw him. That's pretty good. <laughs> See? <laughs> and that'll be another two years. Oh, boy. It's two years in one day now. Uh, so, so, yeah, so the other three are kind of uh, in, in a move very similar to uh, Pearl Islands. I think it was the final six. They they get sent back to the old uh, Isha camp. And uh, uh, this is... So we, we you know, the, the winners and their loved ones get to go back to camp. But there's a nice little weird character moment here where, like, Judd takes off his hoodie and, like throws it on the maya pyramid like he's like yeah. dick van dyke he's like welcome to our damn home man <laughs> <laughs> welcome to earth <laughs> like, you're right mike i love that he just like throws it down like this is the entryway like the entry hall he just throws his jacket down uh i love it and uh so we also get the fact that judd has not you know really been camping before and apparently according to him uh kristen is very attracted to the fact that the of camper judd She's into it, man. Yeah, I think, we, I think we all are. We all are to some degree. Into Camper Judd? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
And I like uh, I like Mindy's confessional with Cindy about how apparently they used to play wilderness people when they were kids, which I think again will connect to the fact that Cindy is very socially awkward in terms of if you're playing wilderness people with your twin when you're a kid. Me and my twin used to basically play a game where we went out in the woods and just were out there alone. <laughs> Story checks out, Mindy. I believe you. Yep, absolutely. I, I like the scene where Judd compares seeing his wife to eating twenty five White Castle sliders. <laughs> shout out! Oh, to, you shout out to have White Judd. Castle. God, yeah. I hope th- I hope that he took that directly from his vows. <laughs> For those of you See, don't yeah, know, unfortunately, what? Lydia, yeah, Lydia seeing her brother was only the, the equivalent of about eight White Castle sliders. Yeah, it was. So it was done the math. It wasn't a full sack of ten there. <laughs> yeah, I, those, I hope I wish Judge compared everything and, and the likability factor to how many White Castle cheeseburgers. <laughs> For th- for those of you who don't live near a White Castle, which is what all of California. Everybody, yeah, everybody west of like St. Louis. Yeah, everybody west of St. Louis. White Castle is this chain where they have these small hamburgers called sliders. They're probably the worst hamburgers on planet Earth, and yet they're delicious for some unknown reason. And Neil yeah. Patrick Harris loves them. Yeah, very, very. Oh true. yeah, the hair on Kumar go to White Castle. He good. loves like PCP or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Love stains. Ugh. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and, and we got a nice, you know, foreboding confessional from Steph here where she says she owes Judd big time for giving her a second reward and she will pay him back in due time soon enough. But, uh, we go to Yasha and this is really where Rafe and Danny make a big connection. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued, Mario. Um, is this, is this, I don't know if you know this from Rafe, is this the moment where Rafe and Danny are close or do you think they formed a bond further back that helped her get through? I think Rafe probably had a bond with everybody. Just knowing him, because again, he wasn't much of a strategist as he was a social guy. He just had real relationships with every person out there. So I'm guessing they were already pretty tight already. Okay, that makes sense because I, I I would not expect this sudden bond to just come out of nowhere because they from now on they become super thick, thick as thieves. I would I would put the the Danny Rafe relationship like almost right there with the Rafe Stephanie relationship in terms of trusting each other and making decisions together. So uh, it, I just assume it's some sort of in ground. Uh, relationship here and we get to see in, inside Rafe's head a little bit in terms of I think he's starting to see that Judd is threatened by him so I think uh, the the next thing on his agenda at least this episode is to take out Judd before Judd gets him well Gary even said that last episode that he Rafe had mentioned he doesn't trust Judd so Gary said that's a red flag that they're going to turn on each other at some point and Gary's like I just want to get there and make it happen sooner rather than later but Gary missed it by one vote it's going to happen now yeah uh, so we go we go tonight back at the old Shakum camp, and this is where we talked about it with the the Judd's uh, final statement later at the final tribal council. And this is where Steph basically tells Kristen that she wants to take Judd to the final two. And this is the quote unquote big lie that's going to be brought up later on. But this is really this is this whole like reward sequence is kind of Stephanie digging digging her own grave for what she does at the end of this episode. It's tough because Judd almost does. In, in a weird way, the exact opposite of Jamie. I mean, I think Judd was difficult to live with. I, I, I'm not doubting that by any stretch of the imagination. But whereas Jamie kept running around being paranoid and saying, hey, are we safe? Are we good? Judd lays it all out, and he lays it all out to his wife. He's like, look, we've got a solid alliance of four, and if I can just make my way through that, I hope that Stephanie can just take me to the end. Like, he had it figured out. He had, he had what he wanted to have, but it's just not going to work his way now. Yeah, he didn't overplay his hand like Jamie did. He actually did pretty well. He only really gets outsmarted by Danny here is what's going to happen. Yeah, that's basically what. And, and, you know, Rafe getting a little trigger happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's the trigger uh, happy more than anything else. 
Mm-hmm. So the next morning, you know, everyone comes back and they say goodbye to the loved ones. And this is uh, one of Danny's key scenes in this episode, but it's actually instigated by Lydia, uh, where Lydia sits Judd down and she basically says, like, look, Judd, we need to make a move right now. And uh, Danny happens to kind of come by and sit down. And I guess they're fine with Danny being there that they continue the conversation, which kind of made me think, do you think Lydia was in on this conversation? I mean, I know I know Danny had the plans to bring her in before and she was talking to Gary last episode. Do you think that that Lydia kind of was in on it with Danny to have Judd admit this so they could go to rape and Stephanie later? Or do you think that Danny just happened to be there at the right time for Lydia to have that conversation? I don't think Lydia was ever in on anything. I think she's just doing her best just to kind of work something and make something happen. And Danny was smart enough to come over there and eavesdrop. That's my guess. I don't know. Maybe she was in it, but I, I don't know how devious it is. I mean, I think that Lydia is scrambling and I think that maybe Danny, maybe Danny told her to go scramble in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, it's, it's a key conversation nonetheless in terms of Danny now has key circumstantial evidence that Judd is, is in fact targeting Rafe and Stephanie. And Judd specifically brings up the Jamie situation and how, you know, Rafe and Stephanie blindsided him and got rid of the threats. And now he feels like he's on the chopping block too. And, uh, Danny has her own little crack confessional, which is uh, not not as epic as Rory's, but still pretty funny. Which is funny because this is, as you said, Mike, I think that was a really good turn of phrase, circumstantial evidence. This is dubious circumstantial evidence. Absolutely. I don't even think that really, as you said, I don't even really think that Judd screws up here. Judd has his plan in place. He's not overplaying his hand, and he's just having a conversation with them, and they're just basically like, Oh, who are you nervous about? Who who do you think's a power player? And Judd's like, you have to be an idiot not to know who the power players are. It's Rafe and Steph. And yeah. and he he literally just says that and and they were like, Would you be on board with getting him out? And Judd's like, Well, I I guess if if things win, I suppose, but I don't know. I mean, he's not committing to anything. He's just sort of talking out loud about theoreticals within the game, and that's what they use, and that's all yeah. that that's all that Rafe needs at this point. And and as you said, Mike, I think he's a little trigger happy, but I really don't even think that Judd horrifically screws up here. Yeah, on his early show interview, Judd says that as well, that Lydia just came up and started asking him questions, and you always just say yes and nod your head when people ask you things in Survivor. That's what he was doing. He wasn't committing to anything. He was just nodding and saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea if you can pull it off. Though to also counter that, in his early show interview, when asked where he would go if he had a time machine, Judd said the moon. Yes. He also said, which historical figure would you like to have dinner with? And he said, Snake. <laughs> which I, I have no idea what he was thinking. Like the band Snake? Or no? It like, could be. I was thinking maybe the Snake in the Garden of Eden. Maybe he was going for Eden. It was like a biblical allegory. I don't was know, it was... Solid Snake from Metal Gear? <laughs> that could be true. Thinking... That... Yeah, that must yeah. be it. Um, that's, those are those are fun things. I, I I explored the early show interviews after you brought them up in the first two parts, and they 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 do for those of you that don't didn't listen to them, they do like a little like ninety second uh, like word association thing, and uh, that you get some humorous answers out of it. But yeah, I I definitely agree that Judd's kind of uh kind of like the, the kind of caught a little bit with his hand in the cookie jar, but like purely through the verbiage that he's using. But it's nice to compare this with the scene last episode where you know, where Gary's interrogating Lydia and Judd eavesdrops. This scene, you have Lydia interrogating Judd and Danny eavesdrops. So I think it's, I think it's a fun little counterplay between the two. I think Lydia interrogating Judd is one of the most hilarious images I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> 
at least they're sitting down. So I, I think it'd be even funnier if they were standing up just because it's this tiny woman, you know, <laughs> p- p- sticking her finger in this giant man's face. <laughs> so uh, we get to this, to the uh, immunity challenges, the immunity challenge that kind of draws Mario's ire. But uh, this is mm-hmm. the big uh, multi-tile tire board where if you, you know, you step on one tile at a time and you flip it over to red. And if you run out of spaces to move to without moving diagonally, then you're eliminated. Uh, the two big caveats are, one, there's a uh, big like turntable at the top where you can spin yourself around to another section to protect yourself. And the other one is this advantage, which allows Danny to switch positions with any player at any time, though, as apparent from the editing, it does seem like Jeff kind of <laughs> does a, a wink-wink hint-to-hint as to when, when and with whom Danny should switch with. By the way, I got to say, a great forgotten moment that I completely missed on the Funny 115, and it deserves its own entry, right at the start of this challenge, where Jeff says, this is an immunity chess game. This one requires smarts. And they cut to Judd, and he's rolling his eyes, saying, oh, fuck. <laughs> Which, it's one of the funniest little visual moments of the season. I had never noticed it before this rewatch. It's a really great little scene. Uh, I love it. I, 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 one of the many things you have to appreciate with Judd is that he... <laughs> There's no filter, and there's the, he, he will show every emotion he has on his face, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, so- mental, a mental challenge is the equivalent of like eating 0.5 White Castle sliders for Judd on the scale. It's, oh, it's throwing up 25 White Castle cheeseburgers. <laughs> okay. That's very uh, possible, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how quickly you eat the first 25. Um, so yeah, Jeff, Jeff points out in the middle of the challenge, Steph, carved out a nice piece of real estate and it's almost like he looks over at Danny and Danny decides <laughs> to switch then and that's pretty much uh well well Judd also gets eliminated by a bunch of rules where he he's he you know Jeff eliminates him and he goes no no I have one more move and then Jeff kind of says judge you can't move diagonally <laughs> yeah yeah what's funny as well is as you can see they don't talk about it very much because this this challenge was probably very slow going because they all took the first step together and then it was just they had to go around one by one and make one move and flip it over and they show like a time lapse of their paths but you can see in the time lapse that Cindy goes up to the top and they go they're basically boxing Danny in they're trying to cut Danny off you can see that they are I don't know worried about her or they're just trying to eliminate her but Cindy sort of sacrifices her game to enclose Danny which is really funny because they sort of carve out their paths and they sort of leave Steph alone and she sort of carves this huge border and then Danny just switches with Steph and it was like well all that all that worked for nothing yeah uh, you so might want to switch with Stephanie <laughs> if you anyone has an advantage at this time they should use it now <laughs> yes. uh, so so you know uh, whether it was rigged or not Danny does win immunity and now uh, the Nakuma Alliance must choose amongst itself, and it, at first it seems like a pretty easy choice for Lydia. But uh, you know, D- Danny, uh, Danny says that it's it's she she wants she goes. I think she goes to yeah she goes to Stephanie at this point about what Judd said and you know his 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 various squirrel comments, and uh, <laughs> you know uh, Stephanie is again definitely considering it, and she brings up the whole honesty thing again about how. Judd's been caught up in a few lies, whereas in her opinion, Danny hasn't lied about anything at all, which is not the most untrue thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's plan is, okay, Rafe, how about we blindside Judd and I'll take the blame for it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, though it's it's interesting that, you know, 
it's not the fact that they're just going to blindside Judd. It's they pull Danny aside and say, you're going to the final four. You know, I think it's steps like this that end up kind of twisting the knife a little bit in their games just because like, you know, and then they're when between them ignoring people before, and then you know, instead of just blindsiding Judd, they de- and maybe and not making Danny any promises, they decide to pull her in and bring her into the final four, and eventually with Ray final three and final two. Like these are what I would consider unnecessary moves to make, especially when you know, and they say it multiple times that like if Danny gets to the end, she'll win because of all her friends on the jury. So it just, this this the, at this point, it just seems unnecessary to me. These are Russell Hans moves. Yeah, he loves exactly. to do that. Yeah, he loves to make all these promises right before he's about to blindside. He loves doing that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, but it, it, it would be a true Russell Hans move if they brought Danny in and then threatened to put her on the jury at the same time. <laughs> yes. Um. So you know the they so now they have the three of them: Steph, Rafe, and Danny, and they just wanted to bring in Lydia to avoid a tie. Um, and there's a, there's a fun scene here where like, you know, Rafe's talking to Lydia about what to do and Jed kind of walks over. He's like, Lydia, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't, if you didn't vote for me and he just kind of interrupt steamrolls the conversation to, to talk about it. But it seems like, you know, the, the pieces are slowly coming together for Jed's blind side and it, it coalesces a tribal council. Great tribal council. One of my favorites. Yeah, this is a. This is a this is a fun one because this is all this where like Steph talks about you know how everyone's a family and it's hard to let people go but Chud completely counters that by saying like no no it's a damn game game man I mean doesn't it, it's just deal with it yeah somebody's going home deal with it he goes into uh, <laughs> Taylor from Kid Nation right there exactly exactly no no chickens around for him to to talk about how beautiful they are but <laughs> <laughs> he's channeling her. Um, I, so, you know, Judd is once again, completely under the impression that Lydia is going home. So when he votes, he votes for her. I'd I'd love to vote for her when he's, you know, you sang and you danced your way out of the jungle. Adios. It's just such a burn on Lydia on so many different levels due to the fact that he also ends by using like her native language. Uh, and Judd is blindsided. Uh, and he delivers probably still some of the most funny, final words ever and they were they were brought up on the funny with 15 uh, as judd is i don't think he's really saying them as much as he's kind of muttering them to himself in his anger he says you know thanks guys hope you'll get bit by freaking crocodiles scumbags and he even he even utters another scumbags as he's as he gets his torch snuffed <laughs> i think actually somebody pointed out that the sec on the funny 115 i wrote that he says scumbags a second time but if you listen closely the editors just took the first scumbags and played it again it did seem like it it was it was added in yeah someone corrected me on the funny 115 so i will admit that he only says scumbags once but yeah you are correct it sounds like these are just judd's inner monologue thoughts that somehow come out of his mouth yeah exactly and we'll get we'll get further into monologue thoughts with uh with shane next season but i think this this is the true between him and jamie this is the true beginning of like you know we we had colleen haskell with you know play nice and i think we've we've seen the full spectrum now of of words to say to people as you're leaving tribal council oh what to say about judd so Uh, many wonderful things judd brought to the season which which is funny because apparently he is one of the least popular castaways ever to the point that jeff probes has said he never wants to work with him again yeah, it's. I mean, it, I think the unpleasantness can come off, but I think this is one of the key facets in the in the the divide between people on the couch and people actually in there. In terms of like, 
I think if people were in the exact same situation, I think I've brought up this point before that like if you were in the same situation, you would absolutely hate being with Judd. But since you're separated from him and you're on the couch, you're like, oh, he's bumbling. Isn't that funny? Um, yeah. That being said, I mean, Judd is a is an amazing character uh, just because, as we talked about before, he has no filter. And, you know, we talk about Jamie being a real person. I think Judd is a real person, too. He just has a larger-than-life personality, and he wears his heart on his sleeve, and those are the best Survivor characters always. Uh, so he just has so many moments. I mean, considering that we've seen him for, you know, 12 episodes at this point, and it's coalesced from him getting stuck in the mud and kind of talking about, you know, uh, going the, taking the football down the whole damn field in episode one to scumbags now. It's... I, I it's. The, the the season misses Judd a little bit in in these two episodes without him. It does, and I think that also in a way, the writing is on the wall. Not that it's it's not so clear in the sense that when when Judd goes home, everyone just says, "Well, okay, Danny wins." It's not that way, but what you can clearly say at this point, if you're watching and paying attention to the strategy, when Judd is eliminated and he is walking out, you can just turn and say, "Well, for sure, Stephanie is not winning." Yeah, 100%. Considering that the most vocal, most likely bigger juror was just stabbed in the back by her jersey, by his jersey girl that he just let see her boyfriend. Because of the of the of the six people remaining there, you know, Danny is not going is is probably sitting very pretty. Cindy, while being socially awkward, has got the less least amount of blood and Lydia uh, from the majority alliance. So they're probably more likely to win. So really, the people that Stephanie could possibly sort of contend with in a final tribal council would be Rafe and Judd and Rafe I think has built some relationships and is probably a little more liked than Stephanie is Judd however you know if Stephanie is at the end with Judd gets interesting yeah yeah what's funny is in his uh, early show or his final words his extended final words Judd goes on and on about how he was a big jury threat. All the jurors loved him. That's the only reason he got voted out because he was so well-liked, which I, I'm not entirely sure was the reality, but that's how Judd saw it. Also, but, is, is Judd the first person to swear in his final words? <laughs> Ooh, that's an interesting trivia question. If only Paul Oselson were here. We oh. feel his spirit. <laughs> yeah, he would know the answer to that. We'll just, we'll just get Paul to record the answer, and we'll, and we'll dub it in right here. Hey, guys, it's Paul, and uh, now that I love the historians, I don't know anything about Survivor anymore, so... Can't help you. Sorry. Oh, okay. Thanks, Paul. That was oh, that. Paul. That was great. Thank you. I yeah, uh, hope you're doing right. well, by the way. Yeah, you suck, Paul. I mean, oh, what? we love you, Paul. Maine. Any any other words about Judd, or should we uh, should we start segueing here into the end game? We we got to keep going, man. We're 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 running long in the tooth. I will so, say one thing. I will one thing. I have to say just to oh, eulogize. God, <clears throat> having Judd on the show was like eating seventeen White Castle sliders. Not the full twenty-five. 17. That's, All right. You can interpret that as you will. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so so we, we get back, and once again, someone is left in the lurch here. Cindy was not informed about uh, blindsiding Judd. I'm not sure why. Uh, I, I, the reasons might be unclear. Maybe, it's, maybe she had a closer relationship than, with uh, Judd than what was seen. But uh, the main crux of this first you know, pre-challenge segment is... Uh, the morning when it's it's Rafe's angels and Rafe compares it to the the cool kid leaving the class and everyone everyone gets to be dorky with each other. So instead of doing cartwheels like they did last episode, now they're they're going cross eyed and singing Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yes, that- but yeah, I mean Cindy does make a good point here that 
nobody told Judd that Jamie was leaving and then Judd left and no one told me that Judd was leaving and I'm probably leaving. And that's my impression of Cindy. But that's she makes a good point there. Yeah, and it probably more than anything else cost Rafe a car and Stephanie. Well done. Well done, guys. Yeah. Um I uh, this is also the scene where Lydia calls Rafe a gentle kind of male, which is uh <laughs> I can't tell if that's offensive or not. <laughs> It's a wonderfully, uh, wonderfully vague euphemism. Well, she's like, he's a gentle kind of male. So it's just like we're all he's one of the girls. It's like, oh, boy. Yeah. This is one of those things where, like, I think back in the day it was fine. But I mean, like, look at what happened when uh, when Nadia from Survivor Sam Wandel Sewer called uh, Josh one of the girls. She got a lot of flack for that, both in the in and out of the show. So I think this is definitely shows with the times that Lydia was able to make that comment and still get away with it. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's let's go to the car challenge here. Yeah, let's give somebody a car. Uh, possibly four people a car. <laughs> um, so this is the this is the second chance challenge. Uh, before this, actually, we we get they get a car key in the mail and we get a little bit of background on uh, what's going to make this denial of the car so much worse. And that Lydia has a seventeen year old son that doesn't have a car, and apparently Rafe and Steph both don't have cars either. Uh, so that's just yeah. going to make this so much worse. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the elephant in the room here about Lydia's son? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I say it's you, it's tough to watch that scene if you know the history here. Do you want to do you want to just bring it up briefly? Uh, because it's uh, awkward, I would rather, rather Jay does it. No. <laughs> well, if I believe Lydia's son died in a car crash right after the season, correct? I believe so. So or clo- yeah, close to close to right after the season. Yeah, but her son passed away. So watching this scene where Lydia says, "Well, I want to win this car for my son," it's it's very hard to watch that if you know kind of what happened in real life right after the season, and especially if you're Cindy. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is the second. This is the second. The requisite second chance challenge, uh, and basically the reward is the was it 2006 Pontiac Torrent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and an overnight trip and a barbecue feast at a uh, a traditional Maya archaeological camp. Um, <laughs> And this is where uh, Cindy ends up, you know, crushing the challenge and she wins the reward. But Jeff has a caveat and, it, and he, he goes, he breaks, basically breaks the fourth wall here to talk about the car curse. And the big offer is, they, and they, they, they emphasize the point by actually driving in four more Pontiac Torrents onto the scene. And they say, okay, Cindy, you can either, you know, keep your car or you can give everyone else a car. And Mike, uh, what is the car curse? Oh, oh, yeah, I should probably explain that. So for the first 10 seasons of the show, uh, there, there was a requisite car challenge, usually around the final five, final six, where the person who won, or final eight, I think, in All-Stars, where the person who won, won a car. But the person who always won the car award never won the game, whether they were a runner-up or they were voted out in that episode, nobody ever won the game. Um, so Jeff, the way Jeff phrases it is it's a way to break the curse or not even break the curse as much as avoid the curse by giving a car to everyone else so that uh, apparently by superstition they'd all lose but uh cindy is not having it whatsoever and this i mean this is you know understandably so cindy's most interesting episode here uh but she says screw the curse and she decides to keep the car i want the car and the win there we go yeah. my cindy impression That's I, the best I, I can do I was I was uh, pretty astounded that she said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not saying that. She's just saying, I want to beat the odds. I'm in a car and the win. Like, I'm not here to 
do superstitions. I'm here to, to prove that you can do things in life that are impossible. So it's supposed to be motivational. She's not really screwing everyone else. She's just trying to point out that you can do the impossible in life. And before anyone complains, yes, Amber was given a car by Boston Rob in the Survivor All-Stars. Amber did not win that challenge. No, Amber, Amber, Amber just happened to be there to get brought along to the challenge. Yeah. So. Yes. Also, I like pointing out a hundred different ways that Boston Rob did not win All-Stars just to remind people that he did not win All-Stars. This is your requisite reminder that Boston Rob did not win All-Stars. <laughs> exactly. Just remember that, everyone. He did not win All-Stars. Um, yes, yeah, so, so she's, Cindy wants to makes the impossible possible, according to her, and she picks the car. And to be fair, it seems like everyone else takes the decision well, except for Rafe, as we'll, we'll find out later. But uh, she gets to bring one more person who does not get a, get a car in this case. But Cindy goes with her, her veiled second-place reasoning of Steph, though I guess it turns out that she picked her to kind of get away from get make sure she doesn't scheme back at camp um and i I mean steph seems happy i mean she's she is cheering for cindy as as they're driving uh driving down the path and everything but cindy is cindy's understandably a little nervous as she gets into the car because she's just afraid about denying people four cars outright well let's point out history kind of remembers this episode as cindy doesn't give them a car and everybody gets mad and votes her out which is not the case that that wasn't the reality at all like they all said yeah she made the right choice the only person who was bitchy about it was rafe like stephanie flat out says she made the right decision so history has kind of warped what actually happened in this episode yeah when i was thinking about survivor guatemala and the fact that the survivor historians we would get to survivor guatemala i thought maybe there would be a discussion between the three of us where it would be like okay did cindy did cindy make the right choice yes cindy made the right choice and i don't think that there's anybody out there that is really going to uh debate that a little bit rafe makes an argument here where he basically says i would i would find really hard to vote cindy out if she had just given me a car which maybe if Cindy gives everyone a car, they don't vote her out. There is no guarantee that they don't vote her out. Maybe they just, you know, nut up and vote Lydia out then at the next one. But, I mean, yeah, I guess Cindy's got more of a choice, chance to win immunities than perhaps Lydia. But, you know, Cindy is not put herself into anyone's final plans at that point. So, by, by hook or by crook, Cindy's got to basically win out immunities from then on, in which case she's ruining everyone's game. So yeah. so when everyone's like when when Rafe's like, well, I don't know if I'd vote her out if she gave me a car. Yeah, maybe not this next one. So yeah. by giving by giving away a car and giving everyone else a car, Cindy has bought herself an immunity, which as people know, hey, maybe that's it. That's enough. I guess you can play that hypothetical game, but really, as Cindy said, there are no guarantees in this game. You take the car. And uh, I'll I'll bring also say that you know you look at the other side of that story, which you know I don't want to talk about modern seasons too much, but in Survivor Caramoan, there was a very similar situation with uh, I think Brenda, where she g- basically gave everyone else their family members uh, their family visit, but as a result, they thought, oh, that's going to make her too likable in front of the jury, and voted her off. So it's kind of yeah. a little bit like you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. You know, I. I don't know if if Rafe would have had immediately turned on Cindy if she gave her a car because she would have been too popular. But that being said, it's one of those cases where as much as as great as a car is, you might not want to win this challenge just because if you're faced with that decision. And I know the decision was sprung onto Cindy, but if you're the person that has to make that decision, that's sort of like you might be screwed either way, depending on how people react to it. The only thing from a historical perspective that I think we need to get across to people is that 
this car thing was a complete non-issue. It made no difference in the game whatsoever. I don't think it had any reason, anything to do with why Cindy was voted off. And I think it's been overblown over the years to point out, oh, Cindy screwed up by doing all this. No, she didn't. It, I think she would have been gone anyway. So I think it made no difference whatsoever. If anything, this and then Survivor Fiji a couple seasons later basically kill the car challenge. Yep. And and this what Cindy does to kill the car challenge is Cindy does not give the car away. I think if Cindy had give, given her car away and given the other four people, the car challenge has life because now people have seen a precedent that someone is giving away cars yeah. to try to break the car curse. And maybe that's something. It, but Cindy basically just shuts it down and says, no, I want the car. I want the car. Yeah it's, it's the, it's, yeah, it's the equivalent of like in Thailand when they were offered to mutiny and switch tribes and nobody took it. And it basically was like, if they had done it, that would have created a precedent for the show. But because they just turned down the twist, it gets taken away for a long time. So I completely agree that this, I think this got the gears in the producer's heads turning of like, maybe this, maybe we can't make much drama out of this car challenge. Well, yeah, because winning a car isn't the big, this big deal anymore. It's funny if you go back to a game show to like, like the price is right or uh, let's make a deal. People win a car, they go absolutely fucking ape shit because it changes their life. Like, it's not that big a deal on Survivor. Okay, I got a car. Cool. It's just, it's just not such a big deal anymore to people. Right. And, and the thing is, is that with certain people, like, you know, Lydia wants to get her son a car and, and Lydia sort of has presented the fact of, I don't know if I could buy a car. So maybe that is a step up. Cindy says several times as she's bragging about the car and that she won a car is that she never thought with her line of work that she would ever own a new car. Yeah. You know, because buying a new car versus buying a used car is one thing in and of itself. So Cindy is very excited that she gets she got to have a brand new car. Stephanie's saying she didn't have a car. Stephanie lives in the New York, New Jersey area. Nobody there has a car. It's just as it goes. So a car is a luxury in that sense. So, you know, there's that, but that, that's more than anything else. It's not that a car is life changing, like some of those early, let's make a deals and stuff like that. It's just, Hey, a new car. That's nice. Yeah. So they, they pull up to the site and this is where, you know, we get, we get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of Maya locals uh, this season. I don't even know. Can they use the term Maya? Weren't the Maya in ancient, in ancient civilization? Wouldn't these be, be Guatemalan people? But I digress. Uh, this is Federico uh, sporting a nice ascot. And His he's, little pink ascot, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's the archaeologist. And, uh, of course, the very first thing that, that Cindy and Steph do is, in true Stephanie the Gross of Fashion, feast on everything there. Um, and there's it's a nice editing here where, you know, Sydney says, like, oh, wasn't this great? Nobody was bitter about it. Immediately cut to Rafe talking about how he's so shocked that Sydney took the car for herself. <laughs> yeah, again, it's everyone remembers that all the people were upset. But even later, Stephanie says, Rafe, shut up. Stop playing the martyr. Yeah. And I mean, I, I wonder, I don't know. Part of me wonders where this comes from because I think we'll see in the next couple of episodes that, that Rafe, before seems such like an open-minded person in terms of strategy, but here in, in the next episode, he seems a little closed-minded in terms of like, I mean, when he, specifically when he says like, I could, there was to me there was no other option than to give away the cars. It just seems yeah. very, very closed-minded on Rafe's part. Well, I think Rafe has an idea of how the game should go. Yeah, and when it doesn't go that way, he starts to get you know there starts to become a disconnect in his head, and he's trying to reconcile more than anything else. The, the Weird Al song, Amish Paradise, there's a great line in there that reminds me of Rafe. Uh, I, I bet I'm a million times as, as humble as thou art. 
<laughs> there you go. I Perfect. thought that this uh, reward was pretty cool. Yeah, the guy was very weird. He was just like, yeah, eat, and I'll come back. But Mayan ruins, even to this day, there are tons of Mayan ruins out in various countries there in Central to South America that are undiscovered is not the right term. They're discovered, but they, they haven't really been excavated yet. They're sort of on hold. There's lots of stuff that has not really been uncovered yet. And so going to an archaeological site with a guy that knows a lot about Mayan culture, and he just sat there and a- asked questions, and he didn't do it in, you know, they, they asked him just basic questions, and he just, you know, they said, so do they have corn for everything? And he's just like, oh, yeah, they love the corn. They did the corn <laughs> for everything. You know, and he didn't really get into all the sort of technical this, that, or, or whatnot. He just sort of answered the questions. And, and to me, I mean, I guess I have a history degree, so that's super interesting to me. But he just seemed very accessible and just was very light and answered some nice questions. I mean, I don't know how long he was there, and maybe he got more nerdy and we didn't see it. But just from what we saw, he just was providing some some background, and I thought that that was uh, pretty neat. Yeah, I do no, have I to agree. Yeah, not, I do have to point out, though, that, of, of course, the first step, the question that Stephanie asks is about food. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that she referred to him by his technical title, the archaeology guy. <laughs> the archaeology guy. Also, Mike, to, to answer your uh, brief thing earlier is that as far as like actual Maya people, I thought they were an ancient civilization. Well, that's the whole thing is they were like, the Mayan people mysteriously disappeared. Well, the empires in a lot of the cities mysteriously sort of abandoned, but the Mayan people didn't really get away. They, they, they assimilated into sort of the uh, cultures themselves. And there are people that can trace themselves back as Maya Pura or, you know, pure Mayan, as we see later on with the, with the ritual. So they're around. Oh. Do they all have big casinos like in the U.S.? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Did it give out chocolate and chocolate coins? <laughs> uh, so let's mo- let's mock the history teacher. <laughs> so uh, you know, Steph and Sydney retire for the night, but this is where Steph and Sydney make the plan to take out Danny, and they kind of bring up the fact that you know Danny uh, is a very big threat, and that the fact that you know they'll look like total idiots if they let Danny get through to the finals and Steph is completely confident that he'll be able to she'll be able to bring in Rafe to get rid of Danny so I guess at this point I don't think she realizes that their relationship is slowly growing closer and closer yeah one thing that Rafe mentioned when I was talking to him about Guatemala is that many seasons are strategy seasons where strategy overrides everything but he said Guatemala ours was a little different because it was a relationship season their relationships were very important, and they were always strong, and they'd change. And a lot of the game was based around who your relationship was strongest with at that time. So, so it really becomes important here. You'll see all these shifting alliances and shifting relationships, and that's what he's mentioning, that that, that really drove the story at this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they, they return to camp, and uh, Cindy, you know, she, I think she's still a little uh, stunned about getting the new car that she's just decided to talk about it, but I don't think she's noticing how Rafe is kind of rolling his eyes behind her. Um, and, you know, that this is the moment that you talked about before where, you know, Rafe kind of complains about Cindy take, taking the car instead of giving it away. And Steph says, like, Rafe, why are you playing the martyr? And she brings up that this is the first thing that they've ever disagreed on, I think. Or maybe that's brought up later in the episode. But this is really the first episode in general where Steph and Rafe kind of are on different pages yet steph still decides to go decides to go along with rafe's plan which i think again just speaks close speaks to how close the relationship was yeah the plan all right this is rafe okay here's my plan stephanie we're gonna blindside cindy and you're gonna take all the heat for it 
<laughs> Stephanie's like, okay, that sounds good. Gotcha. And then I'm I'm gonna win all the money, right? At the final two. <laughs> That's neither gay nor retarded. Awesome. I'm in. <laughs> uh yeah, so we we get we get to the uh, immunity challenge, and this is one where they're they're shackled up and they basically have to like uh, use yeah, use keys to unlock things and, and uh, you know, untie themselves from rope. So this is the second challenge this season that's based off of the Jenna, Jenna Lewis sex tape, uh, <laughs> which is good. And uh, this I was going to say, th- this season was brought to you by the Guatemalan S&M community. <laughs> the, the Maya were, were known for their S&M. <laughs> right, Jay? Wilson? Uh, and I know Ishelle was definitely known for her S. Damn it! How did you beat me to the Ishelle joke? I was just about to say, you son of a bitch. Oh, Ishelle! Ishelle's a Ishelle's a, a punching bag this episode. Um, Ishelle is my bell. Uh, so, but this is this is Stephanie's first and only individual immunity win in her Survivor career. She she finally won something, and she breaks down in tears. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean. Say what you want about Stephanie. Uh, that it, it's really neat to see her actually win a challenge for the first time ever, and she just completely breaks down. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's as much as Stephanie kind of gets vilified. It is nice to see her in these moments like this, and in the final immunity challenge, where you kind of get glimpses of why you love Stephanie in the first place. In terms of she really does put her all of her heart into this game. So to have her finally win immunity, something as a Survivor fan that she's dreamed of, and you know. She's lost so many challenges, so to have her finally win one was it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, but she, I mean, I don't think there was ever denying in the first place that she was safe even without the immunity. Uh, but this is where things advance quite quickly with the Rafe and Danny relationship, as they quickly make a final three and then a subsequent final two promise on top of that. Yeah, all of a sudden, they become BFFs. So you got Danny and Rafe, who are now Biffles. What is Rafe's thinking here, Mario? Um, what I'm thinking here is that he's trying to find more than one person that will take him to the final two. I'm just, just from my conversations with him in the past is that he knows Stephanie's going to take him to the final two, but he doesn't think that's enough. He needs to guarantee he will be in that final two no matter what. So I think he's trying to find someone else who will take him there just as a backup. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. That's just, that makes sense. Just, he's kind of an over player. He's, he's just cementing that the, the, the odds though, that he'll be at the end. Okay, I get that, but what's he going to do if he's in the finals with Danny? Blame Stephanie for everything? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Obviously, you don't want Danny in the final two. Like, at this point, it just seemed to me like, you know, not that Lydia is like, you know, presented herself as some incredible gift to Survivor and whatnot, but Danny has what Danny has done that's very smart, and I mean we're going to start talking Danny's praises because we're getting here to the end uh, but Danny has ingratiated herself with people has, have, has built relationships with people and she's built this relationship with Rafe which was very key here at the end to help her get near to the end but getting Danny to the end Danny has done no harm to these people and, and has just been nothing but super duper nice, and so of course she's going to get voted for and to me, it's like Rafe and Steph, with the way they voted people out and handled the way voting people out, it just seemed to me like they had to get to the end with each other. Yeah. Well, you look at the very next scene. Rafe says, you know, now that I have Danny on board, I can cut Cindy loose because he doesn't need her anymore. Now he has someone that he knows has his back, Danny. So it's just one of those I don't think he really views Danny as a threat to win at this point. He thinks Cindy is a bigger, more likely person to sneak in there and take their win. So I think he just picks Danny as a lesser of two evils. 
<sighs> and, and it's interesting that, you know, the, the main pitch that he makes to Steph is that Sydney's a better competitor. And I wonder if this goes back to the fact that up to this point, the only challenge that Danny won was something that she had a massive advantage for. Maybe at this point, they're still not counting Danny as like a real competitor, honestly. I mean, she has friends on the jury, but, you know, she, she, and especially, you know, if, if she's doing some more subtle gameplay, she might not be as outright uh, likable as someone like Lydia who, who has a story. So maybe in Rafe's eyes, she's someone who can like, who would like quietly get votes, but, but he'd be seen in the more positive light as someone who's played the game better. Yeah, it could be. There's, there's no way to know for sure without knowing the Cindy is kind of the key there. It's hard to know exactly where Cindy fits in with people. So without knowing that, it's hard to say why he wanted Danny instead of Cindy. Yeah, and, and, and I, I tried to do some research by uh, Cindy did an AMA on Reddit a little while ago. But even then, and I think, again, this lends towards maybe Cindy's social skills. Like a lot of her answers to her questions really weren't about the game so much as they were about like the environment and she hated Steph. Those were like the two the two well, things that I gleaned from that. If you've ever been in POS, you, you know that Cindy doesn't like Steph. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 Cindy's great. You'll see her on the internet in a Facebook thread. And the goal is, to, at what point can you work in a question about Stephanie and just set her off? Because Cindy hates Stephanie so much. I, I, believe, I believe we called it the Cindy Hall drive-by. Yes. <laughs> where you, you, start, you start sort of talking up Steph a little bit, and it's bait, and then, and then Cindy would come in and just start squashing Steph. <laughs> Yes, but again, I don't know Rafe's thinking at that point. I'll, uh, I would love to see if I can figure it out or if I have something written. I'll, I'll dig through any correspondence I used to have with him years ago, and maybe I can find the answer. Because well, you are correct that it doesn't make sense on paper why he'd bring Danny in. Because, yeah, it, it, it doesn't – I mean, I get the fact – I mean, I know that Danny's health was very poor at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So they were just thinking, well, you know, she might be a corpse by the time final immunity comes because – you know, obviously, as it, as it shakes out, and I know that I'm jumping ahead and we were running on time and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, we get to that final three, and I think maybe Rafe and Steph thought, hey, it's two of us and one of Danny, and, you know, she's not in the greatest of health and, and, and whatnot, and we can, we have a good shot, and we'll take each other, and I, it just seems to me like Rafe and Steph's endgame was we need to take each other, and but then Rafe has this side deal going with Danny where he cuts Cindy loose and then he even votes out Lydia and takes Danny, and it's. Uh, I think that all, out of all of the people that were there, Cindy, Lydia, and Danny, all who whom I believe have a pretty good chance of beating Rafe in a final two vote, I think that Danny, because she was not in that alliance at all, is the biggest threat. Not not because I think that Danny is some innate dangerous soul, but Danny has just been she's been great on building relationships with people and she was on the outs. You don't want to bring her in. She is the one that is just going to crush you by default. And yet he, you know, does a lot of things. He sabotages sort of his alliance sort of near the end. He takes out Cindy here and he's going to take out Lydia to keep Danny. And I just, it just baffles me. Okay. I'll play devil's advocate just a little here, but it's possible that Rafe was kind of going stir crazy like Jamie a little bit where he's getting paranoid because, again, he's in the lead. It's way more stressful to play yep. Survivor when you're ahead. So, yep. And he, it, maybe that's his thinking where he's kind of getting – he's losing it a little. He's thinking, well, it's much better to have two people who I know have my back than one because that's the thing people say about Danny. She's incapable of lying. They kind of say that all season. You, when, when she says something, it's the truth. She's honest. So maybe that's just his thinking. I'd rather have two people having my back at the end rather than one. Well, I can see that. I mean, if if your goal is to get, just make yourself get to the finals, 
maybe that's that's the play. But it's you're, you've got a huge lead, you've got a pretty good advantage, and you're coming into the final five here. It just it just seemed like well, you're sort of picking your end opponents, and it just seemed to me like of the five people that were left, you're least likely to beat Danny. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. keeping her. And, it, and it's not even one of those where I'm thinking, oh, Danny's subtly dangerous and is going to answer tri- final tribal council better questions better new. It's just for the simple fact that she has been nice to everyone and has built relationships and everyone sort of saw that out there and, and saw she was a nice person and the fact that she was not initially in that alliance, that's the danger. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, and this definitely comes off as the first just innately selfish move on Rafe's part. I mean, I think he was paranoid about Jamie, but I think he could spin it in regards of, like, he's dangerous to the Alliance as a whole. With Cindy, I, I think the she's a threat, uh, you know, the whole uh, p- pitch of that is is pretty weak sauce on the whole. But, I mean, they, they go with it. But I think it's it's clear from the episode outset that I think, I think Rafe just sees that Cindy is kind of he says before that you know with with Cindy not giving him the car it means that to him that she's kind of on to him and she just he just wants to get rid of her now that he has Danny in his pocket um and but this is interesting because you know when Cindy's told about this she turns on to Rafe and this is really the first time the entire season that Rafe's been targeted at all which again speaks well towards his game for this first like three quarters of the season yeah yeah, this this tribal council is. We've talked about great tribal councils in Guatemala, and I think I brought it up, and we all sort of corroborated with it, and we've talked about the great tribal councils. The Cindy vote out tribal council is not the most exciting one, but Cindy gets a shot at Rafe coming out, and it's not a a, a shot as an insult, but she says Rafe is the danger. He has, you know, he has he's won a lot of challenges and people seem to like him. And if he gets to the end, he could win. And you should Rafe's face. As she says that Rafe's like, shut up, Cindy. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. She, she calls him the complete package. Yeah. Yeah. It's Rafe's, uh, any, any chance that Rafe would be seen as the hero of the season takes a big hit in this episode. Yeah. This, that Rafe does not have a good episode. And I mean, we, we talk about uneven editing, on this season and this is definitely a big example of Rafe who was kind of built as this you know this this fairly uh normal logical narrator thus far in terms of strategy that completely goes out the window this episode when he does play the martyr yeah yeah he he he's being he he's being that dissenting view with the car of oh I would totally just give away the car I wouldn't even think about keeping a car I win a car and I can give away cars to other people Oh, I would totally do that. And then he's, I need to get Cindy out and I need to get Danny in. And then Cindy says, man, Rafe is the danger. And Rafe's just like, oh my God, I'm just being called out left and right. Yeah. Well, well, something I'll bring up a little later is Rafe was not one of Jeff Probst's favorite players this season. I've heard some stuff about what Probst thinks of him. We'll talk about this, but this episode points out a lot of those things. So Cindy is blindsided unanimously. And in a season that's full of great exit lines, uh, she has a good one too about, you know, I'll think about you guys when I see you through the sunroof of my new car. It's, it's like it's such a good, such a fun dig on Cindy's part. Cindy has a little bit of a mouth to her. As she's, she's shown a couple times throughout the season, specifically when talking to Jamie. But uh, Cindy, was, uh, Cindy was an interesting character. I don't think we knew too, too much about her, uh, specifically strategically. I don't think we, we knew a lot about where she stood in that main alliance. But she had, she had a, a hell of an exit episode. I'll give it that. Yeah, she was a, she's a hard one to kind of put your finger on, which is good because she doesn't like to be touched. But yeah, it's hard it's hard to kind of to pin down what her personality is. And it's interesting if you go back and watch the the on the DVD, they have a bunch of preseason materials 
the producers talk about Cindy. They're like, yeah, she's the big wild card. They really have no idea how she's going to do when she has to talk to people and like interact with people as opposed to animals. So she was like the one they really didn't understand how she was going to fit into this cast. And I think that's actually a pretty good perception because it's hard to really picture where she was with anybody at any point in this game. You don't really know ever where she was with anybody. So I think she was an interesting character. I love listening to her talk. I love her accent. And like you said, she's kind of got a little bit of a mouth on her, which is funny. And she's and she's witty, too. She's funny and witty and a little bit snarky. And I, I really appreciate her. She's She was kind of in the Jen from Palau category of the person who almost got to the end, but not quite. So they didn't really delve into her character much. They didn't really have to because she wasn't important. But for what she brought, I thought she was a fun little character. Two things. One, Cindy had a reference uh, where she says... I, you know, it was hard for me to sort of keep the car because I had the opportunity to give other people cars. I don't know who else has the opportunity yeah. to give people cars except for Oprah. And I looked it up <laughs> because I was like, was she foretelling the Oprah car episode or did the car episode where Oprah gave everyone in the audience a car ha- had happened already? And the Oprah giving everyone a car episode happened in 2004. Yeah. Okay. So it had happened. But still, fantastic reference, Cindy. Second of all, I loved Cindy when... The episode came out. I was, I think, I was in love with Cindy uh, when, when the episode came out, and, and even watching on a rewatch here for historians, still love Cindy. I think Cindy's great. Uh, clearly, you can see why she is not one that is going to win a game of Survivor. Like her, her you can see the flaws. You know, the fact that you know she is a little socially distant with people in general. <laughs> I get that, but love Cindy. I think Cindy's great. So, uh, you know, as the, as the Howler, Howler Monkeys show, uh, Cindy, the, how much they miss Cindy crying out for a friend, uh, this is, uh, we get to our final four, which is basically this, this newly found tight uh, trio of Stephanie, J- uh, Rafe, and Danny, and now there's also Lydia, <laughs> oh. happens to be there. By the way, can I say one more thing about Cindy? What's that? All right. On the early show, they do the, the survival game where they answer the questions. It's on the DVD. And this is such a Cindy answer. I love this. Everyone will love this that they haven't seen it before. They just ask the contestants questions like, who can answer the most questions in 90 seconds wins this prize? And one of the questions for Cindy was, which animal are you the most scared of? And it's funny because, you know, the goal of this is quiz is to answer these questions as fast as you can. But Cindy, being the zookeeper at heart, cannot answer that question. She says, what is it? Word for word, it's almost like a... I'm not scared of any animal because I know why they're doing the things they do and yeah. I understand their behaviors. <laughs> like it's, it's such a little funny Cindy moment. She cannot sell out an animal just to win a cheap prize. And I think also in that questionnaire, she's asked like, what, what's your, what movie makes you the most scared and what movie makes you the most sad? And she's like, I don't react to movies. They're fake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, enough about Cindy. Cindy's great. I just wanted to tell that story because I, I love that little animal story. Um, we get... <laughs> So th- there's weird characterization on Danny here in the beginning where she, I, and again, I'm not a sports person, so if you guys can tell me about the Kansas Jayhawks, uh, does, does her story check out in terms of they were, at that point, they'd been to the Final Four four years in a row and never won? Yes, they're very successful, but they very rarely make it to f- number one. Okay, so it's just, it's just weird that like they, they didn't build any, there weren't any confessionals of Danny being like, I'm the last member of my alliance, I'm here now. It's like, hey, I'm from Kansas. And back there, they have a team that, that never wins. So I want to represent that, that state well. All right. And go Toto. <laughs> exactly. Uh, carry on my wayward son. Love that song. Yes. Uh, this is, and then the, the tree mail, this is where Lydia gets her, her Jan Gentry moment here. Uh, <laughs> American. 
<laughs> where she's like, she's like, oh, this is a good one. And she's like yelling and screaming and everyone thinks it's a big basket of food. But it just turns out there's it's like a very vague tree mail passage that just says like, you are now part of the Maya culture. Appreciate it. Embrace it. And Lydia's like, we're going to celebrate. And then Rachel says this great clip of like, yeah, but where does it say celebrate? <laughs> and everyone just like cannot handle it. Just breaks down laughing. <laughs> No shit, Sherlock. Yeah, basically, it's their it's their it's their more uh, touchy handling of no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> but uh, Lydia's vision comes true as they are visited by a group of Maya locals, and uh, they they come with a big basket of food and incense. And of course, who should gripe about the fact that they're using up honey and sugar to uh, in their in their traditional ceremony? But Stephanie. <laughs> hello we want the honey (laughs) (laughs) stephanie would be the only person that would like stop a traditional maya ceremony to like grab some of that honey and eat it (laughs) can you get some honey (laughs) oh god (laughs) uh but this this is the big moment where uh well apparently stephanie kind of comes off as a buffoon in this ceremony uh because they because they also show the leader apparently like just kind of snaps the chicken's head off to, as a sacrifice. And apparently, according to Rafe, Steph turns to him and goes like, oh, is he dead? <laughs> and then Rafe says like, well, Stephanie, they just snapped his head off and threw it into the fire. Yeah, it's dead. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, oh, my God, Mayan guy. <laughs> but um, we, get a, we get a nice moment here. You know, in her final, in her final moments of this segment, uh, Lydia does have some nice ways of connecting with the culture because she is of Latin heritage. Uh, though Stephanie utilizes that Latin heritage to make her ask if they can eat the chicken. <laughs> it's really so funny. I mean, it's so funny. They, they do this ritual and they're blessing and, and, and doing a thing and they give them, it seems like they give them a little bit of some sort of alcoholic beverage and then they give kava? them... A, a, kava? maybe, no. They give them something and then they, they give them a, a tamale, which, I mean, tamales are fantastic and I guess it's not a whole chicken that has just been roasted in a fire, but still, they they get a tamale and 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 they've shown them this nice courteousness, and then Stephanie's just like, "I'm looking at that bird, man." Yeah, and <laughs> Lydia, I love, Lydia, ask I, them. I love that between this Lydia asking Lydia to to ask the locals, and between like Lydia giving her her money, that like Lydia almost seems like the help in this case. <laughs> like she's like Stephanie's personal assistant to have to do everything for her in this game. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, so Lydia does ask, and of course the leader says, absolutely not. Uh, but they'll, <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll rue that statement later on. Um, <laughs> everyone at home, hang on. We're not done with the chicken. <laughs> Don't worry. It's, it's going to be sitting there. Uh, but we go to the immunity challenge and this is a, what Jeff calls the most elaborate survivor maze ever constructed, which I would argue might, might still be maybe i think there might have been a, you know, i think like the heroes versus villains slash amazon mage was, was pretty big too but those weren't in the shape of macaws yeah that, this was a pretty cool challenge i i really appreciate the effort they put into this one it looks really cool from was it the a big maze shot. was it a big maze in that redemption island challenge the the rob carrying his family on the back oh well the rob carrying his family on his back was the was the the, the, the grueling step challenge but i think the, the maze in, in redemption island was pretty big too yeah well, there's a lot of big mazes, but yeah this one had the it wasn't all shaped like a bird. You could see that they outlined a little bit to get there, but it, it's a cool-looking maze. It's a cool challenge. Yeah, and it's basically go to uh, six stations to pick up eight pieces, and to get to, you have to drop everything 
the pizzas off every time at a central station, which has this cool thing where you have to like jump across pontoons and run up a set of stairs. Then you drop your pizzas off and go across a rope bridge. And once you're done, you basically make a picture of either a jaguar, a crocodile, or a monkey. Um, and basically, every everyone, you know, for Lydia having short legs, she's she's able to keep up with the other three. But it basically comes down to uh, Rafe, Steph, and Danny, and Rafe wins once again fourth immunity <laughs> challenge this season. By the way, okay, well, I'll point out a good Jeff Probst is a dick moment in this challenge. Right at the start of the challenge, Jeff is like, it's up to you if you want to announce if you have a puzzle piece or if you want to conceal it. Two seconds later, he's like, Stephanie, coming back with a puzzle piece. Like, <laughs> so basically saying it's, it's my choice if, I, if you get to reveal <laughs> it or conceal it. Yeah, but if you watch this challenge again, just pay attention to that, how he says it's up to them if to announce if they have anything. Then he immediately blows Stephanie's cover. Also, yeah. according to Jeff Probst, it's a Jaguar. <laughs> uh, I hate I hate when people say that. I'm I'm glad that that Jaguar never uh never had a car placement on Survivor just to, just to hear Jeff Probst be like you guys are playing for a Jaguar. Uh so yeah so Rafe wins and uh Steph kind of affirms their final two and says she she feels like she only really has a chance against Rafe because they kind of made the moves together that they're the Macbeth and Lady Macbeth is brought up before so her idea is you know, that they should bring Lydia with them since she is definitely not going to beat them at the final three challenge. But Rafe is very hesitant about the plan since he brought, since he promised Danny final three. And this is, this is not the best gameplay from Rafe here. (laughs) Yeah, this is the one when I used to talk to Rafe about Guatemala. This is the one that always stuck in his craw for the way they edited it on TV because he said it's not it was not the way that it went down. Like if you watch the episode, Rafe says, Well, I promised Danny I'll take her to the final three, so I have to take her, you know, with us tonight and vote out Lydia. But he said in actuality was Danny was so weak by this point in the game, she'd almost been medevaced. She'd passed out during that last challenge, that maze. She could barely stand up. She was having fluids like pumped into her to the point that she could barely stand up. So he's like the thinking was that there was no way she's going to win this eight, nine hour endurance challenge where you're standing on a post because she can't even stand up. So he says it really pissed him off at the time that they cut out Danny's illness out of the episode because that was a, a major part of why everything happened the way it did at the end. That I mean, she was almost she was dead on her feet. She was, could barely walk around. So this was the one that all he always it always bothered him. Because fans would never understand why he thought the way he did or what his thinking process was if you don't know that variable that that Danny was basically Elizabeth at the end of Australia that she was practically having IV IV fluids pumped into her at this point. So are are we just gonna say officially then that the reason why the two reasons why Lydia went over Danny was A because Danny was decrepit and B because Lydia was actually a pretty big jury threat to win the game and had the best story to win the million dollars? Well, yeah, those two. And then one thing, Rafe has never said this, but I've always suspected this, in that Rafe knew Survivor as well as anybody I've ever known. He was like, if there was a Survivor historians in season 11, he would have been one of the hosts. He knew the history of the show as well as anybody. I suspect he was spooked that someone small with a low center of gravity like Lydia was going to win a balance challenge because that's basically what Kim Johnson did in Africa. Just mm-hmm. these smaller women with the they they tend to do really well in those endurance challenges, especially the older ones. That's my suspicion. He's never said that, but I would suspect that his knowledge of Survivor kind of cost him in this case. He didn't. He was a little spooked because he knew what challenge was probably coming, and he knew who generally did well at those challenges. And I think he overthought it here. I think so too. 
I mean, yeah. I don't. I think even in that sense, Lydia still doesn't win the challenge. It's possible. Yeah. Who yeah. Knows? I mean, I, look at, I, yeah, considering what the challenge devolves into, which is basically to lean against the post, I think Lydia would have would have yeah, done horribly well, in the challenge. She's toast. I, I get that. I, I you're right, Mario. He may have overthought that, and also it's tough because we don't know, and and Rafe does know he was out there. But you know, they talked about how Lydia is this end threat. She's got a good story and she's going to go to the end. It always seems to me, um, does it seem to you whenever someone says this person has a good story, they actually don't have a good story? <laughs> it does seem that way. Yeah, it's it's very rarely does someone win the final vote because of sympathy. Yeah, it, You know, I, I, I get that they were out there and they said, hey, Lydia's got a story and Lydia's the, the Lydia train is going off and, and if Lydia gets to the end, Lydia's going to win. And it just seems to me like maybe if with the way they painted her in the edit, and obviously if Lydia goes out there and, and Lydia gets to the final two and Lydia wins the game, clearly the edit is different than what we saw. I get that. But from what we show and from what everyone thought of Lydia is kind of like just this extra the help and they didn't take her on rewards and they didn't really pay her any sort of attention in mind. And Lydia wasn't as blood-free as Danny was as far as being on the other alliance and all of that other junk going on, I just feel like if Lydia were in the final two, people would be like, Lydia, did you do anything at all, ever? Yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be a degree worse than, than Katie Gallagher at this point. Exactly. Katie, Lydia didn't openly mock people, but it'd be the same level in terms of challenge performance, and she worked harder at camp, but she was basically seen as a non-entity. You know, yeah. and I, I don't know that if them being in the situation, they couldn't lift themselves out of the situation and see that, and I don't fault them for that, and you're right, Mario, they maybe have picked Danny because, as I said, I think that the only way Rafe and Stephanie can think that they either one of them can win is if they're sitting at the final two with each other and not with anyone else. You could argue that maybe they beat Lydia. Maybe Rafe can beat Lydia. <laughs> Stephanie's iffy. But, you know, it seems to me like even though Danny is probably dead at this point, it seems to me like Lydia is still the better call. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's it could go either way. You could make the argument either way. Yeah. I just I have to you have to defend Rafe a little bit because of the most people have no idea what the variables are, right. and that's the thing yeah. with these armchair survivor players. If you don't know the variables, it's impossible to say someone made a mistake. Yeah, maybe Rafe flipped the coin and picked the riskier choice, but it wasn't like the strategic obvious right. blunder that everyone yeah. tends and makes it out to be. And what's funny is if you watch this episode, there's even a hint in there where Danny, they're talking and Danny says, well, I wouldn't be able to win anything tomorrow anyway. And that's, she's referring to how sick she is. And again, mm-hmm. everything else about that whole subplot is cut out of the episode because they don't want to make Danny look weak. They kind of want to make her mm-hmm. look more heroic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's... Let's talk chickens, <laughs> because you know Steph was clearly eyeing that chicken from the moment it got thrown into the fire, and she realized it was dead. Uh, and so you know she flat out brings Lydia over, and she says, "Oh, this this carcass looks delicious." And so the girls start eating the sacrificial chicken, and Rafe is extremely hesitant to do so. Like I I don't know, does he end up actually eating the chicken, or does he just kind of stand there awkwardly with a little piece in his hand? He, he doesn't eat it. Yeah, he even says at tribal council he never ate it. Yeah, so he does. He doesn't eat the chicken at all, and I, I don't know. I don't know if the if the ritual maybe connects back to his spirituality or something. But uh, it's clear that the, that the ritual really resonated with him, and he and he feels weird doing it. Uh, and I, it, it's clear that he has a reason too, because if you believe in some sort of spirituality, the Thunder God was pissed. <laughs> well, not only that. I mean, 
I told I said on the last episode that in certain situations how Rafe acts is sort of how I would act. And for better or for worse, I am a vicious rule follower. And so it, it's not a rule per se, but if I saw people out there and they had just done this ritual, even if obviously I'm not a someone that goes along with Mayan religion, but I saw them do this ritual and a sacrifice and they said, all right, we have sacrificed this chicken to the gods. Don't eat it. It's for the gods. I, I would probably not want to eat it. But also you're not starving when you say that. I understand that fact. I still <laughs> yeah. don't think I would eat it. Like that is one thing where I think that I wouldn't eat it. And I think that I'm wrong. I, I, you should probably eat the chicken. I don't really fault Stephanie and Lydia and Danny for eating that chicken carcass. Yeah. I yeah. probably would have passed, and I'm weird for thinking that. But it, it's got—I I mean, it is—it's so fun that you know this, this, the biggest storm that the the camp has ever seen comes oh, so in good. the moment after. And the 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 best part that I love about it actually is not even the scene when the downpour comes in, but at tribal council, the look on Jeff Probe's face when they talk about the chicken, and I think something clicks in Jeff's head when you know production has probably gone through hell having to sit through that storm, and when he realizes that it might be caused by the three of them eating the chicken. Jeff Probst is pissed off at these people for doing this to him. He even says something like, well, I'm, I'm not going to judge you. I just, I'm just want to talk about it a little bit. And you're like, no, he, he's, he's totally judging. He is yeah, he's judging. angry. <laughs> I like when he goes through and asks who ate the chicken and he gets to Stephanie. He's like, Stephanie, I know you ate the chicken. <laughs> uh, That's Jeff Probst is actually a funny dick moment. Yeah. Yeah, and again, we talk about, you know, this is a rather inconsequential tribe with Castle in terms of they do end up voting Lydia off, but there's still some funny stuff here with the, with the, the chicken stuff. Uh, uh, but, go ahead. They make Lydia explain, too. They're like, you explain. Well, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie's assistant will explain here. Yeah, exactly. She'll, she'll, she'll draft a response on behalf of the entire Jacum tribe. Uh, but Lydia is so Lydia's voted out unanimously and possibly questionably, depending on what what you might believe. And uh, Jeff hopes God the gods may have mercy on their souls, and they they do for the most part. It's day thirty seven, and they they wake up early, and things have seemed to kind of dry off. That er, though everything's wet, but though uh, we go to rites of passage pretty quickly here, so you can tell that there's going to be a lot of good stuff going on with the final three. Yeah, because they want to show off all those handmade drawings that were created by somebody. Yeah, that, that's a that's a weird one. I, I like the rites of passage when they're more simple. So to have these like hand, these like caricature pictures of the of the the castaways on there. I don't know if the Maya did it that way. And here's Gary Hogaboom roller skating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love Bobby John. They show slow motion of him punching himself in the face. Uh, and I love how everyone calls Blake Golden Boy, and they sing the Amy song. I also like when, when they get to Amy and Danny says, I've never heard so many swear words in my life. <laughs> Again, just to reiterate, this was a really good cast. I mean, on paper, these, this was a fantastic cast. Yeah, it's just, just full of so many great, great people and so many great characters. So many normal people that just seem like really fun people um, for, for, you know, whether entertainment value are actually fun. But let's uh, let's skip forward here to this final immunity challenge, and this is uh, basically you. Uh, the first phase is you standing on a wobbly platform and holding two ropes that are attached to a larger frame. Uh, you let go of one after an hour, and then you try to balance, and then you let go of the other rope after thirty minutes, and then you're basically just kind of on your own. Last person standing wins, and I don't think the producers realized how broken this challenge could be. Uh, but everyone makes it to the to both ropes uh, through the first hour. It's when they let go of the rope that everyone literally 
like Tarzan swings their way off and then is able to make their way back on. And this yeah, is at this get- point, yeah, at this point, it becomes a who's taller challenge. Yeah, we get to the game breaking part of this challenge, which is based, which the producers didn't expect apparently, which is that uh, after they swing off, they're able to get their feet on, but they kind of put themselves at like a forty-five degree angle where they're they're standing on one end of the wobbly platform and they're leaning themselves up against the the side of the apparatus. And like you said, Mario, it basically becomes a game of like, oh, who happens to have long legs and be freakishly tall? And yeah. uh, I wonder, I wonder who. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been very nice to face Lydia in this challenge at this point. That's very true. That's I'm sure that's what Rafe was thinking of, and that's probably what caused him to lose his focus and accidentally touch the post with his hand is because he was ruining the day that he ended up getting rid of Lydia the day before. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have heard, again, like you said, that this was not what the producers expected to happen in this challenge. They didn't realize that all, all the people just end up leaning on the side like that. And again, it just becomes a, a, basically a joke at that point because who has, who has long legs? So you look at Danny who's basically a giraffe, and you look at Stephanie and Rafe, and it's like, well, Danny could probably be out there for 12 hours, even if she is on her deathbed, because she's not going anywhere. Yeah, the, the, one of the better parts of this challenge comes, so Rafe gets eliminated because he, you know, he gets beat by a bunch of rules. He touches the post, and he doesn't Jenna Lewis his way out. He doesn't argue it. Uh, but, you know, there's, Jeff does like a check-in at, get like an hour and a half, and Danny, they both say they're uncomfortable. And then like an hour later, Jeff asks, like, Danny, how you doing? And she's like, I'm the same. And then Steph, how are you doing? Steph is in pure agony, being like, I can't feel my back. Yeah. And you could tell like Stephanie and Stephanie is like at like a 90 degree angle at this point. You could tell that like she's gone in the next like 10 minutes. This is one of those moments where even if you hate Stephanie, I think you have to feel some pity from her. And again, I'm admittedly a huge Stephanie fan. I love everything about her. Everything I said about Jamie applies to Stephanie that she's just real. Like, she can't put on airs. She can't be anything but Stephanie, even with all her flaws. I just find that very charming. This is one of those moments that even if you hate Stephanie, and I know a lot of people do, but even if you hate her, I think you have to feel bad for her. And it's one of those scenes, like, everything that I said about Jamie earlier, I would say to Stephanie as well, that she's just real. Like, she can't put on airs. She can't be anything but who she is, flaws or not, or, you know, when you think she's positive, she's positive. When you think she's negative, she's negative. That's just who she is. She's not trying. She's not faking anything. So I love Stephanie. I love everything about her. I understand why people might not, but I just find it very charming that she has to be who she is. And I find these last five minutes or so of this challenge so painful to watch, to watch Stephanie you know, go through this torture because basically that's what it is. She's, she knows she's going to lose. She can see the writing on the wall. So it's basically how much am I going to torture myself before I give up? And for someone like Stephanie, that absolutely must be driving her crazy. Like, she doesn't want to be in pain, but she doesn't want to give up. She thinks she's an inspiration to people at the same time. So it's just, I find this a very sad scene to watch and a very a very depressing ending for a great character. This is Stephanie's downfall, and it, I find it very difficult to watch. Not that we caught it at the time, but she 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 starts to cry as, she, as she's fallen to the ground, and Jeff is announcing that Danny has won. And there's probably a myriad reasons why Stephanie is crying at this point. Uh, but probably one of those reasons, and if you're watching the strategy part of it, is I think she's crying because she knows she's probably lost this game. Because with Danny being one of the guaranteed final two people, again, I think that Stephanie thought, it probably accurately, that her only shot at winning this game is if it's her and Rafe. And that's a tough sled even for Stephanie. But for Stephanie and Rafe, I think they really had to take each other. It, it, it's how it goes. And that fact that Danny has won this challenge, she's basically won the game. 
So let's let's talk about the the other interesting thing that happens in this challenge, and this this uh, once again comes back to Rafe, who's been the man of the hour for the past couple of hours. Where you know Danny walks over to Stephanie to obviously console her because she's collapsing, crying, as you said, Jay. And Rafe almost immediately comes up to her and says, like, basically, I absolve you of your sins. You know, like any deal that we had, you don't need to honor. And Danny calls him, you know, a good guy right there, but. I, I got to ask, Mario, do you have any insight as to why this happened? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this is an easy one. Rafe has explained this one to me many times that, you know, Danny wins that final challenge and she's going to take Stephanie to the final two because you have to. That's It's suicide not to take Stephanie because Rafe maybe could have beaten her. And it's one of those, he knows Danny wants to win. She's really there for win. She's to win. She's competitive. Stephanie is the easiest slam dunk in the history of the survivor. He's like, she's going to take Stephanie. We all know it. So Rafe said... I really liked Danny. I was friends with her, and I just didn't want her to look like a bad person on national TV. He's like, I knew she was going to take Stephanie. I didn't want her to take grief for it later because he liked her and he cared about her. So that was all he did. He's like, I just didn't want her to take heat for this. Okay. I mean, that that makes sense considering that, you know, I, again, I think that this is typical Survivor editing stuff that they have to show like, oh, well, maybe she'll take Rafe after all because, you know, Rafe has these sound bites later about how, like, I didn't want Danny to have to, to, you know, make to, I didn't want it to be a foregone conclusion in tribal council, and I didn't want her to make a decision based on a promise we made. But using that reasoning, I think it it makes sense. Again, this is sort of like a, a Colby versus Tina thing, uh, speaking towards the meta game of like looking at how the audience is going to view the eventual winner. And uh, if, if, if that's the logic he's going by, I think it does make sense. Yeah, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. I don't think it made one bit of difference either. I mean, she chose the person she was going to take anyway. Yeah. So, uh, tribal council. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, they, the two, Jeff kind of makes the two give their pitches though. The one moment that I do like, it's another Bobby, John and Jamie moment where, uh, Stephanie, Mm. Stephanie says like, she's pissed people off throughout the game. And Bobby, John and Jamie actually have a handshake. They made up because, uh, Jamie's, I think sitting behind Bobby, John and the jury at this point. And they like, not even without, not even looking at each other, do like the little like fist bump slash like sizzle with their hands. And I just oh. think that's, that speaks so much about their relationship. <laughs> that's how they yeah. do it in this stuff. Apparently. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is it for Rafe. Uh, Danny makes the easiest decision in the game and maybe of Survivor of the, of the series thus far and, and takes Stephanie with her to the final two. And uh, this. This is when we, we say goodbye to Rafe, who was such... I mean, I, I keep saying everyone's such an interesting character, but man, he had such a weird edit, and he had such a, a weird game to him, specifically in that in that latter portion. I do think that there might be some substance to that theory that he was kind of playing a little bit like Jamie in those last couple episodes of where he was just getting very trigger-happy, and he was paranoid that he's getting down to the end of the game. So... He was. It's cool. He, I think he was a, a cool survivor nerd to represent the game, much in the vein of like someone like Cester Nino. But uh, he he definitely made some questionable decisions at the end. Well, well, two things I wanted to say about Rafe, and that one of them is that he has long contended. I haven't talked to him in a while, but when I used to, he's long contended that he came very close to being the first nine or seven seven person jury, seven nothing winner in Survivor history. He says, if I had ended up there against Stephanie, I'm the first, I'm basically the first Earl. I'm the first unanimous winner in Survivor. So I don't disagree with that. I don't know for sure, but he's very confident when he says that. He's like, Stephanie could not win any vote. Every single person that was voted out blamed her for it and hated her. So 
but that's one thing. The other thing is that I found was interesting is that he says, you know, he was a good player. He wasn't necessarily a strategist and that he agrees with me that relationships are more important than strategy. But he said, if I had been a little more willing to cross lines on strategy and ethics, I could have probably won. And he said, just an example of that, he said that, you know, in that final challenge where it was Danny against Stephanie, he was considering very hard telling Stephanie to drop out, telling her to drop out and have Danny win the challenge and Danny and, and have Danny basically take Rafe to the final two or something like that, or have Stephanie make a promise to Danny that she wouldn't take Dan- Stephanie to the final two. And basically, Rafe said, the big thing with Stephanie was her legacy. She was very concerned with her legacy, what people thought of her, you know, the girls that looked up to her. And Stephanie knew that if she got to the final two, she was going to get obliterated by anybody but Rafe. She knew that, that was, this was very obvious. So Rafe said, in a way, I kind of wanted to protect her legacy and help her protect her. I didn't want her to be in that final two because this would absolutely assassinate her legacy in Survivor history. And I was kind of looking out for that. But at the same time, I couldn't tell Stephanie to take a dive and ask to be voted out in the final three because... Again, that sabotages Stephanie's legacy as the girl who never quits. And he's like, Stephanie would never go for that either. You can't be the one who quits and has to be voted out because that's not what Stephanie does either. So Rafe says, I could have manipulated Stephanie's gameplay a little more just by triggering, just by pushing her in a direction that would be good for her image because that was one way he totally could have manipulated her, but he just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't cross that line because it was mean. But he said, like a better player than me could have done that and would have done that. I just didn't have the heart to break personal relationships like that. All right, so we we have our final two. It is Danny versus Stephanie, and I mean, actually, the, they ha- actually oh, before yeah. you say this, I know Jay has a lot to say about Rafe because he's hinted he has a lot to say about this. So let's not let's let him weigh in on Rafe here. Wait, I do. Oh, you say, saying earlier in the podcast that you have a lot to say about Rafe as a strategist and Rafe's point, purpose in history, and you you weren't going to be very complimentary towards him. I'm just curious what you think of Rafe. Wait, what? Early in the podcast. What, am I making this shit up? Is that, is that a lie? It's not a lie because I told it to his wife when she was visiting. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Um, so you have, no thought, you have no thoughts on Rafe? Not really. Um, I think that more than what I wanted to, to get across was just that it's a real questionable thing there at the end. And, and I think that more than anything else, Mario, it's, it's just a, a sense of Rafe was ahead. And Rafe was in the driver's seat, and he just made a couple questionable calls at the end. Um, and I believe I believe him, though, in the sense that he might have. It's very, it's very possible that if he had been in the final two with Stephanie, he wins seven zero, because Danny won six one with the only vote being Rafe for Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I understand that point. No, I I didn't really have too much. I I, I don't think my whole thing with Rafe is that. You know, a lot of people look go back and they look at Guatemala and go, Rafe was a really good strategist. I disagree. I don't think that his strategy was very good. Um, but Rafe had a lot of good things going for him in the social game. He was a challenge beast, and he was he was in a majority alliance, and he was steering the, the majority alliance. And you can't take that away from anybody. Um, but as far as a strategy goes, he made some mistakes, and he can admit that or he to you or he cannot. But mistakes were made. Hey. Like I said, I have no desire to go out there and Survivor. I would probably make a ton of mistakes. And not only would I make a ton of mistakes, I'd probably be voted out very early before I could even make mistakes. So good on him for going out there and good on him for doing very, very well. Um, But, you know, every once in a while I hear just people say, you know, hey, Rafe needs to be included in, you know, great strategies that that could have been. and, And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. 
But I think that Rafe, Rafe was good on this season. He was a good character, and I thought that he was a good counterbalance in a lot of in a lot of the situations because he had a distinct personality. And what I liked about it was that it played off of these larger than life characters like Judd and Jamie and Bobby John and Stephanie. And I think that he was a good counterpoint to a lot of what was going on out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll again say that I think we saw a lot of specifically the middle parts of the season through Rafe's eyes as a narrator. Mm -hmm. He was sort of our window as an audience. Uh, So again, to see him kind of morph into a different role near the end of the season is a little disjarring, but I think it just, it falls in line with the kind of wonky editing of the season. Yeah, there is that. And like I said, there's no one, I think, more in Survivor that reacts in certain situations to how I would react. And and so that's that's something where I can see some of the things that Rafe reacted to. And I'd say, you know, I would probably react the exact same way. Yeah. And just for uh, for me to wrap up, just before anybody thinks that my only purpose here is to kiss Rafe's butt because we're friends and stuff. But one thing I've always said about Guatemala is that it's a very unsatisfying season. And I have to say this, that I think Rafe is an incredibly boring character. I don't think he adds much to the season. He really isn't dynamic in any one direction. He's just kind of there for me as a character. So I do think that's one of the bigger flaws of this season, that you have somebody getting so much airtime and so much of it through his eyes, yet he's really not that dynamic, and he's not really a hero or a villain. He's just kind of there. So I do think it's one of the bigger flaws of Guatemala, that he is the centerpiece. Well, he has to be the centerpiece. He has to be because you can't make Stephanie the centerpiece because Stephanie is atrocious at playing this game and she's she's adding her personality to the season which we get in spades but we have a lot of people that are atrocious at playing the game like judd like you know jamie like a lot of these people that are not playing the game very well danny is playing a really great social game but she's not letting the cameras know about her social game so we have that flaw and then you have people like lydia and cindy who are a little socially disjointed from the rest of the group. So who are you left with? You're left with Rafe, who is openly talking about the game with the cameras, and he's openly steering the game. So the two people that we have to sort of hinge ourselves in the game is Gary Hogaboom and Rafe. Yeah. And a lot of that falls on Danny's shoulders for not saying a damn word to anybody. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, that's fine. I will absolve Rafe of the being boring card then. Yeah, so here here we are on, on day 39. It's our final two, guys. Uh, second all-female final two ever. I won't say too much about like the pre-tribal council stuff as much as um, I know they usually burn the camp down, but was anyone else a little uh, nervous that they were burning them down, in this case, right next to authentic Maya ruins? <laughs> ah, those things are tough. Yeah, after Judd's been throwing his sweatshirt on the ruins, they can do pretty much yeah, anything. Yeah, barf, barfing on it, peeing on it, drinking they, on it. They did worse to the ruins by like living on them and stepping on them and jumping on them and climbing on them than burning a fire near them. I guess that's true. I just I was I was afraid. I I didn't want to start a then start a jungle fire or anything. Um, but so this final tribal council in general, I I don't know if we want to dive too much into every individual statement. I think there are a couple that are kind of highlights. But I would say in general, I think Danny does a fine job. She could have literally just sat there and said, "I'm not Stephanie," and she still would have gotten the votes. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think Steph does okay i think there are a couple moments specifically the ones that i'll highlight where she does not do a good job whatsoever but i think i think she does all right you know i think the only pitch she could have made was like i thought you know as a returning player i had a huge target on my back and i had to be the leader and i i made the decisions i had to and i made it here but it's pretty clear walking in here that danny has this wrapped up it's so clear to me that danny has it wrapped up i didn't even watch the final tribal council during my rewatch today i'm like yeah okay it's over (laughs) <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted to watch it because I wanted to see 
because Stephanie played this game pretty poorly. And so then you get into the fact of, hey, how was the Tribal Council? Because Ethan is one, where Ethan, I thought, was, was a very good player. I thought Ethan's final Tribal Council was atrocious, and yet he still won. Yeah, so at know? least at least Stephanie doesn't, you know, discourage someone by voting from voting. Well, maybe she does with Bobby John by saying he shouldn't be on the jury, but uh, she doesn't flat out say, you know, don't vote for me like Ethan does with Brandon. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I was I was watching this final Tribal Council, and I think that Stephanie does a pretty decent job. She does make a couple of errors, but I I think that Danny also doesn't help herself in a lot of situations. But Danny didn't have to do any work. Danny yeah. Danny and Danny almost could do negative work. And it's okay. Stephanie had to do a bunch of positive work, and I don't think that she did it. I also don't think, though, that if Stephanie weren't in such a disadvantage as she was in this season, I think that the final Tribal Council, just in a vacuum, is not bad. Yeah. It doesn't help that Stephanie's eating a large cheeseburger throughout the final Tribal Council. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) I can finally eat my backup emergency cheeseburger. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Jay. I think Danny's statements are just very neutral you know she just makes statements that seem very ordinary of like yeah if, if my if we hadn't been decimated at the emerge i probably would be in the finals with with brandon and gary and bobby john and you know i, I had to make an alliance with the brave like there weren't things that many people found out about uh danny now i'll, I'll move on to these two though i think it's the last no it's not the last two uh the first statement is cindy's which is if you could remove one of the jury members who would it be uh, Danny actually has a nice excuse because she says rape because she he knows he's voting for Stephanie, uh, but Stephanie is uh, does not know how to answer the question and she admits it and so she says I don't know uh, Bobby John because he was first, <laughs> um, which is great because right before that Bobby or not before in the beginning Bobby John thanks Stephanie for letting him be on the jury. Oh, yeah it's it's not it's not the best light Stephanie's been in. <laughs> Um, but, but the other big statement comes from Judd, and of course it comes from Judd, and of course Judd gets saved for last, editing-wise. Uh, he starts off by asking this convoluted question. It's not as weird as the Tom Buchanan uh, hyena licking its ass thing, but you know, it's like, Danny, have you, have you ever been uh, ice skating or uh, rollerblading? Because, I mean, that was, that was your strategy, man, just ice skate throughout this game. It's like Judd did not pull that, that uh, quip off quite well. Uh, and this is when Judd brings up the whole lie about, for Kristen, which, again, we brought up before uh, Steph kind of gets cornered into because it wasn't exactly a lie at the time. But uh, in, in, under the court of Judd, it's a lie. Uh, so, you know, she she is guilty. So, of course, Judd has the most fiery statement for last. And, of course, it goes on for about two minutes longer than everything else just because Judd does not know how to shut the hell up. You know, but it's funny because then Stephanie says, hey, can I respond to that, Judd? Because Judd's basically just slamming Stephanie. And you know, he surprisingly says, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I thought he would just say, no, you can't respond yeah. to that. But she let him respond. And, and I do feel for Steph here because in Judd's mind, he's made up. He's not voting for it. He's voting for Danny. This is a totally lost vote. But it is tough because I do bring it up because he, he accuses Steph of lying to his wife. And that's like the car, the main cardinal sin among all cardinal sins that Stephanie committed, which were many that he lied to his wife because we made a deal. And then you voted me out and you lied to my wife. And Stephanie's just basically saying, well, I didn't lie at the time. I was going to take you. And then things happened and it didn't work out that way, which is, I get that that's sort of parsing in a bit in the, in the sense that, you know, yeah, I was going to take you. And then all of a sudden I didn't take you. So, I backstabbed you is, is, I guess, more accurate. But, you know, Judge is like, well, it must be a lie because I'm over here. 
Yeah. And, and it's like... And Jed also ends his statement with a lie as well by saying that... Well, he, he sort of lies. Again, he says that, like, he never told anyone that he was targeting Stephanie and Rafe, which isn't exactly true because Lydia kind of coaxed it out of him. But it is fun that, that Judd, the guy who says he never lied about anything, I lie, uh, ends by kind of telling a half lie. Yeah, it's tough. Like I said, I, I think that Stephanie handled that well because I think that she explained herself. It was just that Judd wasn't listening. And, and so that's, that's the problem. And, you know, Stephanie, I think, did with the, with the whole Bobby John thing, it's not well thought out. And I think that she had a good template in the sense that Danny answers that question first, who would you remove from the jury? And Danny says Rafe because I know he's voting for Stephanie. Stephanie literally should have just picked somebody that she knew was voting for Danny and said that person. Yeah. But she didn't really learn and she (laughs) didn't get that thing right. But, you know, Jeff then gets, they were all very, a lot of them were very negative and had a lot of venom towards Stephanie. They, they shot some venom Danny's way, but Danny of course was just like, yeah, well, you know, I'm Danny. I'm not Stephanie. <laughs> I'm not Stephanie and, and sort of sidestepped everything and, and no one really took her to task. But probes seem to like the Venom. So good good for them. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, at the end, we get a couple of voting confessionals. Rape obviously votes for Steph. Uh, Judd pulls out his best Alicia Calloway and says, you know, I'm, he promised to never write Steph's name down. And he'll live up to that promise by voting for Danny. But, you know, after Jeff flies the votes back, it's, it's pretty obvious. It is a pretty much a six to one slam dunk in favor of Danny. And Danny wins and Stephanie loses. Uh, so I guess we can kind of tie our thoughts into the finalists here by sort of wrapping up the season unless anyone has any f- finale or reunion thoughts i was gonna say i don't know who those made-up actresses were that looked like stephanie and danny were at the finale danny clearly was not gorgeous them. oh my goodness <laughs> i was gonna say danny looks really good not made up to begin with that's true I, I and i think you know you forget out there that danny was like a, a big pageant queen too but once you put all that makeup on her you're like oh yeah you you definitely uh worked the pageant circuit for a while yeah, yes. I don't have I don't have much to say about the reunion or the finale. It was again the minute Rafe is voted out, the season's pretty much over. There's not that much to talk about. Yeah, so I guess we can talk a little bit about Danny's legacy here as a winner, or maybe lack thereof, because I mean, due to unfortunately her desire not to talk to production about it, she was very underedited. And you know, as much as you know, the storyline of her being an underdog uh, kind of forced her into that position. Uh, she she is not the most well remembered winner. Uh, as a result, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate because I think, uh, you know, you, you said before, Mario, that, that Rafe said that this game is all about relationships. And I think Danny is the best symbol of that, considering that she seemed to really have good relationships with nearly everybody. And she made the right relationships at the right times. And she was able to make game, move, <clears throat> game moves based off of those relationships. Uh, and I think that that goes unstated again because of the editing. So I, I have to give kudos to danny now now was uh, danny kind of lucky that she was allying with people that were able to be trigger happy at certain times absolutely but luck comes with any win uh so i don't think we can discredit danny for that so i i enjoy her as a winner overall as a character yeah yeah she's she's fine uh but i think there's a lot to her game that goes unspoken of because of that whole editing thing yeah and one of the things we do on Survivor Historians, people have complimented us on about, is that we don't win or bash. Like, the person who won the season deserved to win the season. Like, there's no one on that season who was a better player than Dania. That's it's ridiculous to make the argument otherwise. Then, 
The thing is, she had relationships with a lot of people, and with relationships comes options. That's why when people say people get lucky, it's not always necessarily lucky. It just means they had more options. If this road didn't work, they could go to this road or this road, and that's what a social game does. So I think she was a fantastic social player. Some things had to go her way at the end, but you, know, you could say that about anyone. Or you could say that about Boston Rob, Chris Doherty, Vesepia, Sandra. You could say that about anyone. So. I think she was a fantastic winner, as they all are. She t- is tied for the best winner of all time, in, in my opinion, with every other winner. Um, as a character, I've long said that Guatemala is a unfulfilling season. It just doesn't work for me. It's Token Teens is another season that I, kind of the same re- same reaction for me. It really doesn't click overall as a season, and Guatemala is like that too for me. It never really kicks into a higher gear like some of the other seasons, and that, a lot of that unfortunately falls on Danny's shoulders as a character. In that she was specifically, and again, she has pointed this out in interviews. This isn't just us saying this. She specifically and deliberately would not tell the producers her thoughts or her plans during the game because she didn't want probes to use it against her at Tribal Council. So that was her strategy was nobody knows what I'm thinking. And unfortunately, as a TV product, that makes her a a horrible character because we have no idea what's going on in her head. And one other thing I wanted to add is that it's it's not a secret that Guatemala has long been one of Jeb Probe's least favorite seasons. I know that for a fact. I mean, just from people who have talked to me, I've talked to about this, people that know this stuff. And I know that Danny is one of his least favorite winners. And I will tell you something I've heard about this, which I'm not sure has ever been mentioned on a podcast before. It's some kind of an insider stuff here is that one of Probe's big beefs with this season is that a lot of the players presented themselves different in their audition than they were in real life or they were during the game. And Danny is a big one in that I know Probes has said that she presented herself as a flirt. She was going to get out there and flirt with everyone and kind of show some skin and be the sneaky little devious one. And again, this all goes back to Probes is a horrible sexist who thinks that all survivor females should be the slutty flirty girl. Like that's He continues to think that's what poverty is and he raves about her to the point where she even says, no, that's not, I don't even play like that. Not uh, Two out of my three games, I had nothing to do with that and you still insist that I played like that. And that's what I've heard that Danny went into her auditions saying that she was going to be this flirty one that would flirt with everyone and then she didn't once the season started and Probes really was ticked about that to the point that he has never really sold her as a winner or the season overall. And she's not the only character. There's a couple others who did not present themselves in interviews like they ended up playing in the game. Uh, Lydia and Rafe were two other ones. But uh, yeah, he's not a fan of Danny. He's not a fan of Guatemala. And it's just one of those things. That's why Guatemala does not get remembered because if probes won't sell a season as being fantastic, people do not remember it. And unfortunately, that's what happened to Guatemala. It's just a combination of things why Danny has almost no legacy whatsoever. But again, from a winner, I think she was fantastic. I think she was a lot like Vesepia and Sandra. She's a very defensive player. She was well-liked. So good for her. I'm glad she won. She was the rightful winner of, of Guatemala. Danny is a dangerous player in the sense that she she knows, not only is she making good relationships with people, she tends to find who is driving the game. A lot of times people equate the best player in the game with the person who is steering the game the most. That's not always the case. In this game, you can say that a lot of the early action was steered by Gary. And if you notice, Danny got an alliance with Gary and was very close with Gary. And in fact, they were the two remaining people of Gary's alliance. And then when Gary got eliminated, Danny was making relationships with other people like Stephanie and with Rafe, 
who were steering the game. So Stanny was always with the right people at the right time. She needed things to bounce her way, just like Sandra needed things to bounce her way. You know, a lot of people uh, discount that and say, hey, a better player is someone who can steer things their way. I understand that argument, but that's not how they played. They got the help that they needed, but when the, when the ball bounced in their court, they were ready for it. And that's something that Danny goes, you are right. Danny has said in multiple interviews that she has, she kept things from production. That's why she wasn't edited so well. And, you know, she uses that as a defense of, yeah, people say I was boring because I didn't say anything to production. The answer is, yeah, you didn't. And so you were kind of boring on TV. That's okay. Doesn't mean she's a boring person. She seems like a fantastic personality in real life. And I would go so far as to say that if they ever did the, I know that everyone always is like, we, I want a season with all winners playing the game, which I don't think is ever going to happen. But if it ever did, I think that you probably have to look at Danny as a contender to win that season. Mm-hmm. I, I think that she's a strong case for winning that season because people probably forgot about her. And she gets forgotten, not just with her edit and, and the way she played the game and the way she didn't talk to production, but just also the fact that Survivor Guatemala is falling in these weird years where... We aren't necessarily bringing people back. Obviously, Guatemala is setting a lot of precedents. It sets the precedent that this is the first season where returnees have come back and are playing with new people. Um, We've had the one all-star season, but that's going to come back again in Survivor Micronesia. But then after Survivor Micronesia, which is 16, Guatemala is 11, we're not going to have returnees come back until Survivor 20, Heroes vs. Villains. And that's sort of the floodgates. Because after Heroes vs. Villains, we have Guatemala or sorry, Nicaragua, but then after that we start getting the Redemption Island where Boston Rob and Russell come back, and then we get South Pacific where Coach and Ozzy come back, and Philippines where they bring three people back, and they are starting to bring these returnees back. But that's a little bit later. In these sort of middle seasons, yeah, people have come back. Like uh, Vanuatu, yeah, Chris hasn't come back, but Eliza's come back, and they brought Amy back. So they've brought some people back from Vanuatu, and they're going to bring... You know, at least one person back from Fiji, Yao Man, and they're, they're going to bring some people back from these seasons. Nobody has ever been brought back to play from Guatemala. And I, and I think it goes to the fact that Mario's talking about how Probst does not necessarily like Guatemala. Production necessarily didn't like Guatemala. I think that they could have brought one or two of these people back. Obviously, they didn't want to work with Judd again. Um, and, you know, Mario thought that Rafe was a boring character. I get that fact. But you know, you you could have you could have maybe taken a chance on Hogaboom. Jamie would have been a decent person to bring back. I even think that Cindy would have been interesting to bring back. I know that maybe I'm in the minority there, but you know, you could bring some people back from this cast, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But um, this season is, yeah, it's it's got a little bit of a weird editing, but I, I I like it, even though it sets again some horrible precedents. For the future, such as returnees with newbies, and that's that's not super awesome. And also the fact uh, you have to give Stephanie credit; she is sets the precedent that still goes to this day. In a season where they have returnees and newbies in the same season, a returnee always makes the finals, and Stephanie mm-hmm. is the first person to do so. So, I'm 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 pretty high on Guatemala. Um, I'd say if I did like a season ranking, Guatemala would fall only a little bit outside of my top 10. And I think for me, it, it's really because of these players and because of these mm. characters. And I, and I know, Mara, you said that you might 
not be as high on rape. Now, I mean, I personally am not terribly high on someone like Danny, but the fact is, like, in my opinion, from like Blake onward, I could just watch like episode after episode of all these people just interacting and playing with each other, and I, I really enjoyed the way the season progressed. I think it's a weird season, and I agree with you, Jay, and I agree with everything we've said before in terms of editing and both production uh twists as well this this is going to be a weird statement but this is a season that you need to take episode by episode um because i feel like the episodes individually themselves are very good they're very good packages in terms of editing and storylines and everything when you start connecting things that's when things don't really seem to line up i'm looking at jamie's edit for an example or even something like Lydia's edit really comes and goes. Rafe doesn't really emerge until the middle of the game. Danny doesn't emerge until the end. So I still really enjoy this season. I love the theme, love the challenges. Again, love the cast. And I ultimately love the story line, Danny's storyline. Um, I think this is just if people are, are looking to rewatch this season and they really want to enjoy it, my recommendation would be just take it episode by episode. This isn't this isn't a season that will have, you know, a Kathy Babrick O'Brien one long arching story arc that will make the whole season satisfying this is something that you need to watch in 42 minutes and digest and then watch another with a completely different mindset that being said still really like this season yeah it's for me it's just one of those it's right in the middle for me i don't love it i don't hate it i don't think it's great i don't think it's bad it's fun entertainment like you said the episodes are good if you want to watch it episode by episode i think that's a great way to phrase it i think that works out But again, I just go back to what we said at the end of the Palau podcast, that it's really the first season where the theme failed. And I think that took a lot of steam out of the whole thing for the producers. And again, I keep coming back to this, that Probst didn't like filming the season. He didn't like producing it. He didn't like the product. The theme just kind of fell apart from them, bringing back this beloved Stephanie and having her be this huge goat. So it's just one of those, it just took a lot of steam out of the sales of Survivor that they hadn't really had a failure yet. And this one just... Even though it turns out to be an okay product as it is, it just didn't work out like it should have. So that's how I view it. And again, I, I can't get out of here without eulogizing Stephanie. Um, you guys have any anything more you want to say before we move on to Stephanie? Nope. No. Yeah, Stephanie is one. I, again, I, I always come back to this. She's got to be one of the more underrated survivors in history now. And I could care less about playing. Like, she's a horrible player. I, I, I don't think anybody would argue she's a great player, but... Like, she's almost unanimously hated now. Just people just love to crap on her, say she's horrible, say she was overrated. And it's true she was overrated at the time, obviously, but it's gone so far the other direction at this point, she has to be considered underrated. Like, she brought so much to these middle years of Survivor. She was really the biggest star after Rupert for a while there. And again, even though she's a huge goat in this season, she delivers in every scene, whether it's good or bad, mostly bad, but I mean... She brings a lot of good stuff to the season just from being a, a, a antagonist. So it's one of those things I really think more people have to kind of look at her a little differently these days and think, yeah, you might not like her, but you're not supposed to like everybody. Like, you didn't always like Richard Hatch, but he was a fantastic character. And that's how I think you got to view Stephanie as well. Like, you don't have to like them to like them. That's, I guess, it's a weird way of saying it, but that's how you don't have to like them to like them. And I think the thing that we kind of forget about nowadays is how much Stephanie had an influence on like the ap- almost the applications of those middle years. I mean, it, 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 the first day in Guatemala, a lot of those females said like, oh, I, I look up to you. One of the reasons I applied to this show was because of you. And I mean, it, we, 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 I know we talked about it a lot in Palau, but we can't state it enough that 
Stephanie was a huge female character on this show, probably one of the biggest the show the show had ever seen up to that point. And it's amazing that you know she really did inspire a lot of people back home. I know we look back on it now, and Survivors become. Uh, I wouldn't say a trite franchise, but so kind of into the cultural mainstream that you think like, oh, Survivor uh, contestants actually influence people and are inspirational. But yeah, her and her Oolong storyline kind of was. And I mean, I, 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 I'm I, not sure. I, I forget when they started doing that, which Survivor contestant are you like stuff. But if they had done it in the middle years, I can imagine a lot of those female contestants from you know 10 through 19 would have said Stephanie was their influence just because she was such a magnanimous character and such a magnanimous idea of like, this is this underdog athletic female that was able to defy the odds and make it for a little while and even make it to the finals her next go around. It's also pretty ridiculous that I think between Palau and Guatemala coverage for us, I think we've been talking about Stephanie for like five months now at this point, almost half a year. It's good. It's what she'd always want. Very true. (laughs) Maybe she's having a cheeseburger right now in our honor. I'm this close. <laughs> yeah, just no, good segue into our next season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that good on you, Stephanie. We're, we may be the only podcast around that still appreciates you, but I really do appreciate everything she brought to the franchise. And she's one of those people. Like we had Chris Doherty, the interview for Vanuatu. If we could get a Stephanie interview somehow, I'd be so excited because, like, they are two of the, the players that only players I've ever want to interview for this podcast because I think they were very significant to a certain era. Who's gonna make the drive down to Philly? To, to proposition her in person. And we'll get Paul. That'll be Paul's first job when he comes back. I feel hey, like Paul. Mrs. Kendrick may not take our call. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I'll tell her we have nuts and berries. Oh, man. Or, no, corn. Corn is really what's going to get her going. <laughs> corn. <laughs> uh, but here we are, guys. We have, uh, we have officially finished Guatemala, and we're, we're, we're ready to move into uh, our first season that's title is literally its theme besides all stars in uh panama exile island yeah exile island is a season i didn't like at all at the time it's the season that kind of drove me out of survivor because it was so weird but on retrospect and watching it for the funny 115 for research i think it's really funny there's some really good stuff in it so i've made peace with it and i'm very excited to talk about this one this is one i'm particularly high on these days yeah i've i've said multiple times on the podcast and elsewhere that i still think that on the whole, Exile Island is the funniest Survivor season of all time. Just because, again, I'm, I think I'm going to speak highly of these characters once more. Uh, and I am thrilled beyond belief to just spend 13 episodes talking about Kasaya. Because, <laughs> man, one of the most amazingly chaotic tribes ever. I am so pumped to talk about Kasaya. Let me, let me know, Matt, but I'm so pumped to talk about Kasaya. Ooh, Dan, the astronaut. Oh, wait, no. Oh. Oh, Ruth I'm Marie, right. Ruth Marie, I'm Team Ruth Marie. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways with Shane and Courtney, Bob Dog, Bruce can't poop. I mean, it is just it's going to be good. It, it's 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 going to be good to talk about. It's it's a weird opening with the four tribes and the challenge and the exile island and just the fact that they've all got names, Bayonetta. Uh, and and other in th- viveros but you know it's just older men younger men and <laughs> jeff's is calling it during the challenge it's very surreal and and it's a weird start to to a season but it really gets going it, it almost is like a train that just starts chugging and and it's it's got some good characters it's got some fun stuff and as you said mike 
the the twist is the name of the season. I mean, come on now. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna. We're, it's and it, this is again another example of a twist almost completely failing when Terry kind of breaks Exile Island in Episode Four and and it becomes meaningless. <laughs> Do you realize in a couple weeks we'll be talking about Bruce's evacuation episode? Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I know you should feel these nipples; they're so hard right now. We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Deets mode. I mean, we're gonna talk about everything. Uh, so pumped, very excited. Yeah. So enough about Guatemala. Enough about that season. Yeah. So are you guys, you guys have any final take uh, final things, or are we are we good to put season eleven in the books? I believe we are ready to uh, put season eleven in the books, and I rate it seventeen White Castle sliders. Wow, that's good. That's on the same level of of Judd, your enjoyment of Judd. So <laughs> exactly. So that's it's it's above average. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So uh, yeah, we we will see you guys again. Uh, time frame unknown, but we will we will see you guys again as we, as we once again go to Panama for the third time to recap Exile Island. Uh, so for the Survivor historians, I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Mario Lanza, and the Moon Goddess Ishel is a huge whore. Well, that. I'm I'm Jay Fisher, but I I don't know if I can top that. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> Let's go have some corn, guys. Gary, what's your take on this? I personally like Steph, but uh, there's some people here that are starstruck by her. That's not her fault, but they all can probably get an autograph after the show. <laughs>